Sorry this episode's running a couple of days late, but we had to re-record a segment in the middle. See if you can find it in uh, the first segment of our show. Uh, So, sorry no cold open, but uh, we're going to get right into it. So, enjoy. Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that's not going to do Nurgle jokes because the world is scary. I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. And this is episode 212, and this is going to be kind of a follow-up of our last episode on the state of the game when we talked about, like, ITC possibly changing mission packets and and the fact that Iron Hands were strong because in the week or so, (laughs) in the couple of weeks since we recorded that, (laughs) things have changed, yo. Are Iron Hands still strong? Uh, Yeah, we'll be talking about that in our (laughs) second segment. (laughs) I think our first segment's going to be talking about the ITC missions. Yep. Because that that really came like the day after we recorded, they were like, "Oh yeah, we're here's some new beta missions." All all good news comes out right after we record. Of course, while podcasting, I just we we were the uh, bellwether for like we we knew. No, I don't know. We're just lucky or unlucky, depending on how you look at it. But uh, yeah, so that's going to be our main topic. And as always, we'll have news, new releases, and uh, your listener mail and the morale phase. The news and new releases, like forty k wise, there hasn't been. A whole lot. Uh, there's a, a new, the new store opening model, like the special edition model, is a really awesome female Catachin Jungle Warrior. I do like that, and she yeah. she is buff as hell and does not look like she wants to take your shit. Uh, they had the new uh, Black Library uh, store opening, or the Black Library opening. celebration Black Library celebration model. Oh right, it's the, a it's the a uh, custodian cust- sister of silence. Yeah, uh, so that's cool. It was interesting in the it's pure speculation, but in the the rule slip for those. They mentioned Talons of the Emperor as like kind of a combined faction. Like the way it's written, like it, it makes me think that they might roll sisters and custodes into like one faction. That would be. Nice. I hope they yeah. do because that's how they were released originally, yeah. 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 and they both complemented each other greatly. Which, which would be also better than the the way the data sheets currently, currently were are set up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, right. Uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if they start kind of rolling those combined factions together and and. Pulling things together for like uh, Tal- uh, Talons of the Emperor or Agents of the Imperium or Inquisition or something like that, like to like coalesce some of these random factions out there that don't have full model lines or full range, you know. Oh, and by the way, if you notice that Kevin is nice and clear, yeah, that's because he's actually in studio with us visiting us in KC, yay. But yeah, not a whole lot of like new releases. Uh, they did have their like New York Games Day when they talked about board games. Mm-hmm. And they do have like another Space Marine Adventures kit, which is or box, which is going to be like playing all Terminators against a horde of orcs. Although yeah. the, the orcs are all cardboard tokens, they're not right. Like the only plastic bottles are the, the Terminators. But the, it's interesting; those have become like those Barnes and Noble exclusive, at least in the U.S. Barnes and Noble exclusive uh, boxed games are actually kind of a neat intro, yeah, product into the game. Like I've seen people actually like. Looking at the, and now Target is carrying Space Marine Adventures as well. Yeah, so, like for a lot of people, the initial exposure was like Dawn of War or the Space yeah. Marine game. So, having that as uh, as a new way, and with people like Target's actually like a major board game store now. Yes, I mean yeah. 
there's and even for role playing there's uh like you can buy the like the D&D essentials kit I think is a target exclusive at least as far as like storefronts like you can get it online yeah but it like I know you can get it at target I don't know yeah. if it's exclusive but yeah like yeah it's like well there's the D&D starter kit which is not exclusive but then the essentials which was the second starter kit okay. they did that that one I believe is a target exclusive so it's like gaming tabletop gaming is breaking into the like mainstream and yeah. so i think games workshop is trying to make sure they have at least their foot in the door absolutely any place any more avenues they can sell outside of the traditional brick and mortar game stores like that's only going to help that's only going to boost sales right and also these are much lower cost of entry points yes. right it's like get you into the universe get you a couple of models to play around with and kind of give you a feel and like okay so i like this what more is there to do and then that's when you can introduce somebody to like Maybe maybe they're more into board games, a Blackstone Fortress, or maybe they like okay, a little skirmish game, Kill Team, which I've been playing in a kill, just started playing in a Kill Team league at our local game store. That's been fun to get back into. Nice. And uh, but yeah, it's like that for a lot of people now. That is their like Kill Team is the path to entry that you know GW wanted it to be. So it's very it, it like they obviously have a strategy for this, and it they wouldn't keep pushing it if it wasn't paying off. It's like. They did, like, the original Space Marine Adventures game, they wouldn't release a second one if the first one hadn't done well. Yeah, exactly. And surprisingly, a second season of Blitz Bowl, their, like, stripped-down version yeah. of uh, Blood Bowl, which I went ahead and picked up all the Season 1 stuff this week because Season 2 is coming. And and it's like, Blood Bowl is, again, one of those games, like, I kind of have my eye on, but I don't feel like having another four-hour-long mini game to play with a yeah. lot of, like, arcane rules that I'll have to learn because... Let's face it, Blood Bowl's rules haven't been updated a whole lot since the 1980s. Yeah. <laughs> and so having something that I can play in like 30, 40 minutes is just a quick little side game. Very appealing. So I, I'm, I'm in for that. And like our friend Dan has decided like 40K, not his style. Warhammer Underworlds, very much his style. And so it's like there are different games for different audiences, yeah, too. And once again, that's a nice quick game. Yes, exactly. So it's like not everything has to be a multi-hour like camp, you know, company level, you know, war game. Yeah. The but other, the other thing they released to that same New York Comic Con or whatever was they they announced that they're doing more Space Marine action figures. Yeah, I saw that, and they're releasing them in both painted and unpainted. Yeah, it's just kind of interesting because like it's it's I think it's through McFarland Games. Okay, so, McFarland Toys. So so not Namco Bandai this time. Yeah. So so hopefully no eight month pre-order window um <laughs> it's be one week be... pre-order window for an eight month delivery yeah <laughs> deliverable date um it's not gonna it's definitely not as like detailed or articulate but like i think i kind of like that they've got the high-end like bandy model and then like more of like the actual like like a figure. mass like, release yeah like that's that's good like that shows that there's interest in it so i, I thought that was kind of neat that they're that they're continuing to push those out there, which means that maybe eventually you'll get... Well, and also I think they're kind of gearing up for when Marvel Comics starts putting out a Warhammer, their Warhammer 40k comic. Like, they are looking at this... They're they're wanting this to become a... Like, they're creating... They're pivoting themselves to be... This is an... We're an IP generator, not yeah. just a game company. And, like, you've got Angels of Death coming and the other, like, animated anthology that they may, that they're working on. So it's like they, they're priming themselves to be a media company as well. Well, So this ties into that. And specifically in this one, they talk about, uh, today Games Workshop announced a new partnership with action figure makers McFarlane Toys 
to release a range of 40k action figures starting with the primary oh so so it's not just the one figure like with bandai yeah this is like like, this is the start of it which is awesome that's huge uh speaking of range of of little action figures the little chibi toys yes we talked about that last time we talk about it yeah because remember i got like i bought five of them and got three gray knights Uh, and two skatari i bought (laughs) five of those so far i've gotten three intercessors a sister of battle and the uh Eversor assassin. I hate so, you. So everything that Rob of, didn't get. Two of them that I did that, that I really wanted, <laughs> and I have like I'm close to having a squad of space marines. Rob's busting out the bag, saying, "What do you want to trade?" I don't have them here with me, but oh, you're, you are of no use to me, sir. Yeah, I didn't bring them <laughs> with me. But uh, I'm I'm. It's one of those where it's like, okay, the one I've gotten the duplicate of is the intercessor. I'm okay with that. Like I'm okay with having multiple of that guy. <laughs> you don't need gray knights. I mean, I would like to get the gray knight. I'd like to get the. Uh, did so you get Skatari? I did not get the Skatari. There you go. Yeah. Now you have a complete set. Nice. Like I said, between the two of you, you got all of them. Nice. Send me an intercessor sometime, <laughs> and, and we'll yeah. call it even. Yeah, I'll bring one back for mm. conquest. The yeah. sister's really the one I want the most, but yeah, I have not, I've not been let. No, no, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. What is so funny because I was talking to Luke, the guy who runs the Warhammer store in Scottsdale, and I mentioned to him, I'm like, the two I want are the Eversore. And the sister, and then I was, and I'm like, I've opened two so far, and I've gotten two, inter, you know, two uh, intercessors. Intercessors, but I'm like, sorry, I'll buy three, whatever. And I opened it, and the first one I opened up was the intercessors. Like, God damn it! He's <laughs> like, well, open the other two, and then it was the two the, that, the that needed. So, like, <laughs> so yeah, so I'll take the intercessor off your hands. Karma, like it was funny because Karma, like somebody scripted that scene, like the way that <laughs> the way the conversation went, and the, like the oh 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 <laughs> yeah, it was just funny. <laughs> So yeah, not a lot f- from the gaming front, but yeah. more than you might think from the other product front. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see other other news. Uh... All right, everybody, this is where we started giving Midwest Conquest updates, and when we recorded uh, a week ago. We were actually saying, hey, Midwest Conquest is still going on. Price is going to change on April 1st. And hey, we're watching the situation on the ground. But as of right now, Adepticon's still going on. And, you know, as far as we know, everybody, as long as they just wash their hands and, and, and don't cough on each other, will be fine. And that was Sunday. And <laughs> it is now another, it has, we've had a Sunday pass then. And the situation could not be more wildly different. Yeah, no, the situation changed. I mean, I think it was Wednesday was the day that, like, the NBA and the NCAA and the NHL and all these things started started canceling events and changing. And, and you know, the, the situation's gotten a lot exponentially worse. And I think that people have realized that whatever we can do as far as, like, social distancing and canceling events and canceling large gatherings will help eventually. You know, will help on the downside keeping this from, from spreading too wildly. Yeah. So to put things into perspective, when we, okay, so we recorded and then, yeah, Wednesday things started, like a lot of events started closing down and uh, different states started putting like caps on gatherings at a thousand people. Yeah. And that caused Adepticon uh, to close on Thursday. Thursday, yeah. Yeah. Uh, But Thursday, we were also having discussions on between all the organizers of Undercon and looking at the situation, trying to figure out. And we'd been kind of, as this situation was building, we'd been keeping our eye on it and deciding, you know, are we going to, are we going to stay or are we go? Cause you know, both concern mate, especially the concerns for public health and 
you know, both for the attendees of Midwest, the Midwest Conquest events and of the other people who take, who use the Undercon gaming area and all that. And it's just like, but also, you know, the, you know, full disclosure from a financial standpoint, at some point we've got to order con materials and we had to decide, yeah. are we ordering con materials? Or are we going to have money to refund people in case we have to cancel at the last minute? We finally came down, uh, you know, at the, at that time, Kansas City had put a ban for eight weeks uh, or for 21 days at that time, yeah. <laughs> which is again, tells you how fast this has moved. Oh yeah. This has been rapidly yeah. evolving. <laughs> so at on Thursday morning, there was a ban on any gatherings of a thousand or more people in Kansas city for 21 days. And while yeah. the, our event was like nine weeks out, nine or 10 weeks out at that point, and was going to be far less than a thousand people. We still were like, maybe we should close. Cause I don't think this is going to get better faster and then one of our local game stores shut down their gaming room. Mm-hmm. And there were a few more cases reported in the Kansas side of our area. And so it, we came to the very difficult decision to cancel uh, Midwest Conquest. So we are in the process of refunding people. Um, we're finding some difficulties between the two different versions of the uh, TO app, between iOS oh, and wow. Android. Yeah, so... Um, we're working on refunding people, and if you haven't been refunded yet, uh, let us know, and we'll re-examine it. But so far, I've attempted to process refunds for everyone who's requested yeah. it. So, yeah, we've sent an email out to all of the people who are registered. We we turned registration off on BCP, so the, I think the event's still there, but you can't register for it. Yeah, there's no, basically um, listed zero tickets available. Yeah, um, we sent an email out to all the attendees, uh, and we're hoping to hear back soon from everyone whether they want to uh you know basically there's two options uh refund your ticket or we'll roll your registration forward to 2021 um everybody who has requested a refund so far has been a refund's been issued i don't know if it's actually hit yet because i don't know i don't exactly know the bcp process for doing refunds uh in years past we've always done registration ourselves through paypal this is the first year that we've done it through bcp so if there are delays or if you've requested it and it hasn't come yet uh don't panic it's it's on its way uh, but if you don't hear it within several days after requesting it then you go ahead and please reach back out to us you know and we'll we'll take care of people and do do the best we can you know I, obviously i want to say that like the the public health element of this is the most important part absolutely uh, and we just decided that we couldn't in good faith, move forward with the event with various people in our personal lives that are in high risk demographics, you know, versus other people at the convention, just in and the general health of, you know, people in the area. We, we wanted to make sure that we took the, the cautious route. But there was there's also a financial component to this. And, you know, in full transparency, I want to kind of let everybody know, like what we do with the money from the event. You know, this would be the fifth year that we've run the yep. event. Mm hmm. And what we have done every year up to this point is all of the money that we take into the event either goes back out in the form of price support um, or it goes back out in the form of money that goes towards our charity raffle. So, you know, we don't – maybe we could have done a better job of this than I take responsibility since I'm kind of the financial guy for this. But we don't really have a reserve coffer of cash for the event. You know, we basically – we open up registration in October or November when we normally do, and then all the people that register, you know, that covers 
first and foremost, the, you know, the room and any of our expenses for the event, you know, getting a U-Haul to, to move stuff around, paying for storage, et cetera. Um, but the rest of it goes back into price support. So the more people we have at the event, the more price support we'll have. Um, you know, and we've always prided ourselves on, we're not using this to make money. We're not using this to, you know, do anything other than to create a good event and make the best possible, uh, you know, the best possible event we can have for people and, and try to give as many people that attend, you know, some form of prize, some form of door prize or, you know, just something so that they feel like they've, they've had a good time and that they're enjoying themselves. Uh, and I think that mentality was also part of the reason why we decided that, no, we couldn't risk it. And we, we, we decided we needed to cancel. Yeah. And since that decision was made, obviously things have gotten, uh, things have snowballed. Uh, yeah. not, not in the sense of like, you know, end of the world snowballing, but obviously like re- the, the social distancing standards and, and guidelines have changed dramatically just in the past, oh, mm-hmm. 72 hours here. Uh, now at this point, there is an eight week ban from the entire Kansas city metro area on any gatherings other greater than 10 people. And with eight weeks out, Midwest Conquest is like, if you count it, it's like at nine, we would just be past that mark. But I wouldn't be surprised if we, if this gets extended a bit further. So, yeah. so besides the, the public health concerns and the financial concerns and everything, I don't think we would legally be able to hold it at this point. I know Adepticon, yeah. they had to cancel because Illinois put in a thousand person limit. And obviously Adepticon is way larger than a thousand. So... Yeah, it's at for tournament organizers right now. This is a bit of a night logistic nightmare on uh, trying to figure out what to do when and when to make those decisions. So, um, to all the other people who are trying to figure out how to organize events, even if it's just at a local store level, so many stores mm-hmm. are closing their gaming rooms just out of health concerns or because local governments are saying, nope, you can't have this open, this isn't an essential business. Which, I mean, it's essential to the people who are running it. So, you know, if there's ways to support your local store through, like, gift certificates or... Uh, I know one of the game stores in the area is now going to curbside pickup for all their per- <laughs> all their selling. So... Yeah. Which is, is cool. You know, it's it's neat to see, com- you know, small businesses trying to adapt to this this situation as much as possible. But, yeah, it's, we're, we're in weird times now. Just Just weird. Yeah, no, definitely. And, uh, you know, I guess the big thing that we'd want to do is just want to encourage everyone to stay safe, you know, wash your hands, stay home if you have symptoms, you know, just take care of yourselves. You don't have to start hoarding supplies. You don't have to avoid all human contact, but just be smart, you know, and don't don't take unnecessary risks. If you don't feel comfortable going out into an area that, you know, don't then stay at home. Mm -hmm. And this will pass. You know, yeah, we'll, this will pass. We'll have events, you know, later in the summer. I'm sure we'll have Midwest Conquest next year. Like it's not the end of the world to cancel these events, but a few weeks of sacrifice and social distancing, you know, will ultimately save lives. And that's the most important part. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the news coming out of China right now that they did social distancing, you know, heavily enforced over the last <laughs> month or so, and they have turned the corner. Um, right now, yeah. for a country with 
Like 1.4 billion people, they're now reporting 10 to 20 cases a day, where before it was hundreds. So, I mean, it works, and it's slowing things down so that there's resources to treat the people who are getting infected. Uh, And that's the whole point of this. You know, you'll hear the phrase flattening the curve a lot, and that's why we're doing the social distancing, because if we can cut down the opportunities for this disease to spread... The, you know, then the people who are going to need medical assistance will not overwhelm the hospital system because that's what we saw. That's what we're seeing in Italy that for mm-hmm. a couple of weeks, you know, they put in restrictions and guidelines and people did not follow them. And also Italy happens to have the second oldest population like by, per capita, just behind, just behind uh, Japan. So you have a lot of elderly people who are getting infected by people who are not following these these guidelines so again not to like try to shame anybody or scare anybody into like hide in your house but that by restricting contact besides what you have to do we can get through this better than if we don't absolutely yeah so listen you know listen to listen to the cdc guidelines listen to your local government listen to you know the 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 people that are put out there that are that are putting information out that are telling you you know what to do because you know there's a financial cost to all of this nobody wants to shut these things down but i think everybody realizes that no this is what needs to be done and this is the best way we have to combat this so just please listen to your local officials the cdc be smart take care of yourselves and and this will all pass yeah yeah it it, it will it's going to it's going to be a rough it's going to be a rough go. It's going to be a major disruption and we don't know what we're, what the other side will look like, but hopefully it'll be back to something that we recognize as normal. And I think it will be. Yeah. It will be, but it's we don't know how long it's going to be, so yeah, just just everybody be be safe, careful, healthy and you know, we'll we'll get back to to running events. We'll have, yeah, we're. I mean, we have every plan to do Midwest Conquest twenty twenty one. I mean, this epidemics come and go, and and the world yep. has seen seen this kind of thing before. And as a as a unified global society, even though we're not terribly unified at times, we are in a better position. Even with even though we're in a better position to spread it because of international travel, we're also in a better position to deal with it thanks to the quick. Uh, spread of information. We can spread information just as fast as we can spread disease. And the, the information, the resources that are being brought to bear against this thing, we'll get through this. We'll absolutely, absolutely. get through this. Yeah. I don't know what playing 40K is going to look like in the interim because yeah. it's hard to play when you're recommended to have a six foot uh, distance between you and anyone not in your household. So, I mean, if you if you have right, a roommate yeah. and you both play 40K, Awesome. Keep on gaming. Uh, for those of us who go to game stores, uh, it's painting season now. <laughs> it is painting and building yeah. season. No, that's exactly right. Like, I, that's that's what I'm going to be doing for a while, catching up on the backlog of painting, building models. And, you know, we're still going to be doing the podcast. We're we're already remote. So, yeah, you know, it doesn't it doesn't really change too much uh, for us. So we're still going to be bringing you content. We're still going to be talking about the game. GW sounds like they're still going to be releasing things. You know, there's, uh, I mean, we'll get into it later with stuff, but they keep showing previews. They've rescheduled the Adepticon previews. So they're still going to be, you know, there's still going to be 40 K happening. It's just going to be, you know, playing. It's maybe a little bit tricky for a little while, but we'll yeah. keep talking about it and we'll 
you know, we'll still be here if people want to listen. Yeah, we'll we'll try We'll do what we can to keep having content for the show. Um, yeah, and like like Kevin said, you know, product will still be coming out, so we'll still have stuff to talk about. And you know, maybe we delve a bit more into fluff. Maybe we just get yeah. kind of theoretical. I'm actually kind of looking forward to not having to just do codex reviews. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I have a feeling. Psychic Awakening books are like, you know, Engine Wars still in the in the hopper oh, yeah. and coming and Saga of the Beast is coming, so Yeah. No, I mean there's still there's still releases coming, but like I do part of me, I know we've talked about this in the past about the release schedule and stuff like that, but part of me does miss some of those old episodes where we could talk about like the hey, things. how do you theory hammer building this? Or, you know, how do we fix this? So yeah. Uh yeah, so we'll be more back into that type of stuff, but we'll still be around and we'll still be here to entertain people. Yep, as long as we're able. So, yeah, we'll just we'll just keep the show going. But anyway, we're going to get back to the to what we recorded on Sunday, but we just wanted to let everyone know that A Midwest Conquest not going on this year. B pay attention to CDC guidelines if you're in the US or World Health Organization guidelines, you know, just you know, and, you know, just be safe and healthy and see Show must go on, show will go on, and we're still going to be here. So, all right, and now, back to what we were talking about on Sunday. Ah, it's cheerful news. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, uh, the other, before we get into listener mail, the other news and new release, I wanted to kind of cover this in the first part of the show, is the ITC missions. Yes. The, the new ITC, technically, they are beta missions, but they are also, like, They've they've been in use. They're like draft two point one is the most recent one, and there are some significant changes to how like the basic scoring is the same. Like it's still kill one, hold one, kill more, hold more. You still pick three secondaries, although which secondaries you pick have changed quite a bit. But there's some other fundamental changes that I think really change up how this plays. And I've I had a chance to uh, play the an earlier draft of these, like I think it was draft 2.0 or 0.01. Uh, but uh, played an earlier draft of these at a tournament in February at uh, peculiar game and hobby. They're actually doing a charity event. One of their, uh, one of the members of their gaming community uh, lost a family member in a car accident. So they had a charity event for that. So I was glad to play because again, using our war gaming powers for awesome yeah. is, is actually a thing we're behind. Uh, but uh, have had a chance to play with these, and it's it's an interesting change to how how ITC plays. So first off, there is now an attacker and a defender, rather than first player, second player. And uh, so players roll off to be attacker, defender. If the defender, and, and you choose if you want to be attacker, defender. If the defender was the winner of the roll off, meaning they chose to be defender, uh, they roll for the deployment map and can re-roll the result once. So if they're like, oh, I don't like hammer, like you're a ranged army and I roll hammer and anvil. No, I think I'd rather roll see if I can get like Dawn of War or something. If the defender was the loser of the re- of the roll off, meaning they were chosen to be the defender, you roll two d six, re-rolling any dupes, so you have two choices and then you pick one of those two. Ar- already, we're seeing a change in how how deployment map is going to be selected. Then defender chooses deployment zone. Attacker gets the remaining deployment zone, which I think also fits with like the defender role. You pick the yeah. land you're, you're defending. Then uh, you follow the ob- scenarios for selecting objectives. Then you choose your three secondary mission objectives. We'll get to that in a second, but there has been a change on how you pick those. You reveal them to your opponent simultaneously. Then players de- 
begin deploying. Attacker deploys entire army first and then and takes the first turn. Defender deploys entire army second, takes the second turn. There is no role for seize the initiative. I kind of like this because it does simplify a lot of it. You're not doing the... It, it it simplifies the order a little bit. I do kind of miss the like seize the initiative thing, but removing that phase as we've talked about before just is kind of redundant in the, you know under well, some of these current setups. Well, it's like you'd roll to see if you go first. Oh, I go second. I'm gonna roll. Yeah. It, you basically get a re-roll to go yeah. first, and it's not you know it it wasn't as yeah. effective as it necessarily could be. So I, I think this is a better setup. Um, I think once people get used to it, I think it'll be fine. I I don't know that I love deploying your entire army at once i like the alternating deployment but i also concede that it is much much faster in a tournament setting honestly as much as the back and forth of alternating deployment was kind of an interesting thing and it it made like it it gave armies that could drop that could uh deep strike a lot of stuff kind of an advantage because you could pick your first like Mm -hmm. several choices to be deep strike and then your opponent's gotta kind of deploy deploy blind um I don't miss it time wise. I don't miss it. Yeah, and and we've already determined eighth edition is a is not a faster because of all the mm-hmm. other rules and things. It's not a faster edition. Yeah, and a lot of that goes into that alternating setup. And again, playing into the attacker defender, the attacker deploys their army. The defender can then look at how they're deployed, play you know build their army you know deploy their army. In re- in response to that, they also get access because the defender is automatically going to go second. Defender has like taking the prepared position stratagem is actually has some value to you as well. Like you can build an army that is really sh- tough to shift and can resist an alpha strike. Yeah. Well, I, I I think if this works out the way that it is intended, which is always a big if, because who knows if it's going to actually play that way. Yeah. It it does one of the things that we talked about where it potentially mitigates the the downside of going second yes you can you can basically kind of plan and build an army to kind of contingency and like set it up and you're not as you're not punished by going second as right and the fact that you have like you can have the choice like whoever wins the roll-off has the choice i one of my games at the this february tournament my opponent chose to be defender chose to go second and deployed accordingly so that they were hidden from all my stuff yeah and so yeah it made it you can, you know, we always, there was always that kind of maxim, like, we'll always deploy as though you're going to go second because you might get seized on, you, you know, you won't know if you're going to deploy for, you know, now it's like, you know, you know, going into deployment, am I going to be first or second? So it allows you to start planning at that point rather than get caught unawares, mm-hmm. which you may, may or not, may or may not miss that aspect. But yeah, I'm kind of with you. Like, I think this is, I think it's a better for the flow of the game. Yeah, I think so too. And I, th- I think also people get used to attacker defender, which is, is something that they kind of borrowed from chapter approved 2019. Mm-hmm. I think it gets people used to that. And so you have, it opens up a lot of design space for mission design for other formats as well. Yes. Uh, okay. So again, tabling concession, that's, that's pretty much the same. Uh, the one part that seemed a little different to me was if uh, you get to, if you're the one still alive, you get to air quote play out the rest yes. of the game to make sure you can score all your objective points. Right. So they yeah. did change that. You don't automatically score max points. You don't, if, yeah, tabling your opponent does not automatically score max points either. Yeah. So, so yeah, you, that was one change. It's like, because it used to be 
you just automatically max out all your secondaries that you could still score, but you mm-hmm. wouldn't get bonuses. This does allow you to get the bonus points for every mission as well. Like, if you can, if you are capable of doing so, you can get the bonus points, which you could not do before if you tabled someone. Sure. But the, like, concede. So now, and then you can basically, once somebody concedes, you can just kind of look at the math and say, okay, so next turn I go here, here, here. I can score this. You can still move the bottles. You can still move the models, but you can kind of eyeball it and talk it out with your opponent. And if your opponent at that point has already conceded or been tabled, so. Or walked away. Or, or probably <laughs> walked away, yeah. But, well, hopefully not walked away because you still have to enter in your score. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so secondaries. Here's This is what's changed. You have three secondaries. They're broken into technically three groups, but there's two groups and one outlier, really. The two groups are Seek and Destroy and Maneuver. You have to pick one Seek and Destroy. You have to pick one Maneuver. Then your third secondary can be from either group, or it can be the outlier, which is Old School. Yeah. Which Old School hasn't changed. It is still... First strike, you know, destroy a unit in the first battle round, destroy a unit in the last battle round, destroy a warlord, have a model within your opponent's deployment zone. If they ever got rid of old school, like they couldn't ever call anything old school again. Because old school is old. I I have nothing to say to that. I I really have no words. No words. I feel like since I'm actually here, I want to throw something at you. (laughs) And I don't, I feel like I shouldn't miss this opportunity, but I also don't want to damage the recording equipment. (laughs) So I'm really torn. I consider Dennis part of the recording equipment, so please don't damage him. (laughs) It's his space. (sighs) At least until he moves, and then we'll, and then we'll all be remote, but. Okay, so your seek and destroy missions are Headhunter, which is one point for every character destroyed. Born for Greatness. This is kind of interesting. You pick a single model character unit. That unit gains one point for accomplishing each of the following objectives up to a total of four. And you can only do each one once. So destroy an enemy unit that does not have character. Destroy an enemy unit that has character. Uh, deny an enemy psychic power. Hold an objective outside your deployment zone. Heroically intervene into an enemy unit. Or begin and end a battle round within your deployment, wholly within your deploy- opponent's deployment zone. So basically, you pick a character, and so like a knight player could totally pick this for their knight warlord. I really like this one. In my mind, I just it's to scream space wolves. I, I could totally see that, that. That's where my mind first went. I'm like, okay, like a wolf lord. I could yeah, definitely yeah, just go in or like on just, a thunder wolf, like yeah. charging into an like getting into an opponent's deployment zone and then like hunting after characters because that is a very space wolf thing to do yeah and even chaos i mean if you've got a like a demon prince they can get the deny they can Mm. probably take out an enemy unit take out an enemy character and you're going to put them in the opponent's deployment zone so i think this is a neat fun one that feels really different and new right no absolutely uh, marked for death. Choose four of your opponent's units. Now, this is they had this before, but it was based on power level. Had to be power level seven or, yeah. or more. It is now worth a unit worth a point value of 120 or more points, including war gear. And then earn a point for each of these units destroyed. In order to score this point against a unit that splits into multiple units, you have to destroy each piece of the unit. So, like, mm-hmm. somebody brings a... Uh, like a tank platoon and splits them off into three. You got to kill all three squatting. tanks. Yeah. yeah, you got to kill everything that was on the list. When well, you and, picked I, it. and I think one of the discussions about this, uh, that 120 point minimum is five intercessors, I believe, which yeah. is why it's set there because it's like they wanted to be able to, there was, there was a lot of conversation about targeting space Marines or not with these. Yeah, missions. we, we talked and about I'm that last episode. I'm glad they 
some of the other stuff we'll talk about, I'm kind of glad they didn't target them quite as much as they wanted to. But they still some people wanted to. But it's still like make it's trying to make sure that Space Marines don't yeah. slip under the sure. radar. Sure, and, and I get that. Like you don't want to, you don't want to let them like play a different type of game. But at the same time, I also don't think you should target them either. So, uh, and also they point out seek and destroy secondaries may not be scored concurrently by the same unit on the same target, so yep. they don't stack. So, for example, let's say you had Born for Greatness and Marked for Death. If your character destroyed an enemy unit worth 120 points or more that you had marked for death that did not have the character trait, you couldn't score both yep. of those on that particular point. I like that. I like that. I like that they called out that they don't specifically stack. Right. Uh, now, there's a couple of questions. There, there are some that are a little bit. Okay. Yeah. No, they have cleared up Reaper because that was one they, that was a little. They, they did. Yeah. They, they clearly specify that none of these are meant to stack. Right. Uh, gangbusters for every six wounds inflicted on a non-troop battlefield this messed me up i missed the non-troop part i wanted to pick gangbusters against i played against a uh uh cult mechanicus player who had a whole bunch of cataphrine breachers mm. and those are troops for him and so i could not i couldn't score it the only thing i could score it on is he had a unit of dragoons and now i maxed it out on the dragoons because they had he had a unit sure. of like six and yeah. they have six points each so i was able to max it out <laughs> But I was hoping to be able to score more. But no, non-troops, which also means custodes don't automatically give it up if you start killing like two two units of custodes, yeah. or two models in a custodes troop unit. True, but most people ignore those and take out the jet bikes and the other bigger things. Right, right. But again, it, it's just like trying to make sure that you can't – or like Tyranid Warriors are immune from this one. Yeah. 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 So multi-model unit can tar- – for a non-troop battlefield role multi-model unit composed entirely of models with three or more wounds that does not have the vehicle, swarms, or monster keywords earn a point. Which I don't know if... Sc- Dragoons might fall under vehicle now, though, so I might not have been able to score it for that either. I'd no, to- Dragoons, I don't... The I, Walkers? I don't think they're... I don't think they they're might have vehicles. No, right? I don't know. I'd have, I, yeah, I'd have to look at that one. So I might not have been able to score that one there. So you're saying you already cheated the system. I, I, well, it was also an earlier draft of the mission, uh-huh, so it sure may not was. have had that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I lost that game very badly anyway, like 40 to 7. So in the grand scheme of things, I cheated my way to a loss. <laughs> so I don't feel too bad about it. I got wiped in that game. It was, you ever have like, there's one, like, you ever have that faction that you just can't deal with I think for that's some reason? Or one another. of the questions later, isn't it? Uh, if it's not, it should be. Uh, but uh, yeah. anyway, Mechanicus oh, is like funny. one I always have trouble with. Uh, Big Game Hunter. This one's interesting because it combines Titan Slayer and Big mm-hmm. Game Hunter. Earn one point for every 10 cumulative wounds dealt to enemy units containing the monster, titanic, or vehicle keyword. Once any wounds from a unit are counted towards your big game hunter's secondary objective, that unit may not score points for another seek or destroy, seek and destroy secondary objective. Which also means like if somebody has venom spam, you kill two venoms, you, you max, mm. you get a point. Yeah. Cause it's cumulative wounds. You don't have to destroy it. You don't have to. The one thing I like about Thien's combining these, like, specifically, it's like, in the previous missions, there was Titan Slayer and, you know, Gangbusters and all these different missions that were just slight, secondaries that were just slightly different. Collapsing them all down into one, like this, combining some of these makes it so much easier. Yeah. So you're not looking at 30 different, you know, and I know yeah. it wasn't 30, but you're not looking at this whole suite of very similarly named, very similarly functioning secondaries that oh well i guess this one's slightly different so i need to pick this one 
the simplifies well, also, it a lot. And also because you are limited on how many of these – like, you could, can't just take three different variations of kill something. Yeah. You can at most take two. Well, but, like, in the, like so in the past, like, you look at it and it's like, okay, well, there's Monster Hunter, Titan Hunter, and, like, Gangbusters. Well, looking at your army, I can score max of 11 with this one. I can score, And you spend all this time, like, picking the secondaries, simplifying this into, like, no, this, this is how it works. You kill things, you get points. So much easier. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll jump ahead a little bit. And that's what I'm liking about this. Um, cause when we get to Reaper, I guess Rob would jump down to Reaper and then I'll go back to this comment. Okay. So, well, first we got to get through but- Butchersville. Okay, Butcher's Butchersville is pretty much the same. Destroy yeah. two or more enemy units during a player turn. So if on your opponent's turn, you kill two of their units in like Overwatch or Assault, you could, you, you could, you could get two points in one battle round nice. on this one. And then finally, Reaper. And this one has changed quite a bit because it used to be models killed. It is not anymore. For every 20 wounds of infantry, swarms, bikers, or drone models, I feel targeted as a Tau player for good reason, uh, for drone models destroyed, earn one point. You count each wound when the infantry model is destroyed. In the instance of models coming back into play after being destroyed during the course of a game, you may count them each time they're destroyed. Nice. Uh, once a model is removed from a unit, if you choose to count it towards Reaper, it cannot score points for another seek and destroy secondary objective. So again, no stacking of these. Yep. I think the only one that does stack is Butcher's Bill. Butcher's, uh, well, no, technically Butcher, none of them they, can yeah, none of them right, step. I think they, they cleared still, up that that So, so there, once yeah. you, once you destroy a unit for Butcher's Bill, it can't count for anything else either. Or once you tag a unit for, like, Big Game Hunter, like, I tagged your knight. If you destroy the knight, you can't, it doesn't count for Reaper. Yeah. But the reason Reaper changed was, A, intercessors were infantry troops, infantry units that were twice as hard to kill as everything else, so they made that a bad choice. Yep. Um, the drones obviously getting targeted, it brings Tau kind of under control because Tau was, while Tau wasn't cleaning up the way like Iron Hands were, it was still a problem. It, yeah. Huge swarms of drones that made it impossible to actually hurt the- Kill anything? The, uh, actually, yeah, uh, yeah to actually deal points. with the yeah. functional parts of somebody's army, yeah. what, that wasn't great either. So again, this, this addresses a lot of potential issues with ITC scoring by bringing it down to wounds. It's a little harder to track, but it definitely f- addresses those issues. Yeah. And I will say the one thing that I really like about all of these seek and destroys is, as Kevin was alluding to, is each one kind of targets a different type of yep. unit. Yeah. I mean, so that way you can just kind of just glance at your opponent's army. Okay. You favor this is your main thing. I'm going to pick this one. Like you got your Tau, you got lots of drones. I'll pick Reaper. Oh, your, your knights. I'll, of course, I'll take big game hunter. You got custodes or other ones. So they, it really feels whatever your opponent's playing. You don't really have to, like, like Kevin was saying, math out what you just kind of take a look. Okay. Here's your big thing. Here's the seek and destroy. And I, and I can see build, like, I can see things that like, oh, you're playing a guard army that is tank heavy, but also has a lot of like cheap infantry. I'll take big game hunter, a maneuver, which we'll get to. And then, uh, reaper because I'm going to kill a lot of infantry too. You know, that, yeah. so it's like you can play around with this or, uh, you have a lot of characters. I'll take headhunter still. You know, that, that's still a good option. So there's, yeah, it's definitely lets you tailor the the secondaries towards what your opponent is playing, which is with the one outlier being the, um, born for greatness. Yeah. Which I still really like that one. No, I still, I dig that one. Whether how good a choice it is. Oh, it's probably not that great, but I, I like it. Cause if you've got this unkillable character, I mean, I mean, well, people wouldn't put Bobby G in the front lines, but he could probably score all these. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, now we get to the maneuver secondaries, and it's important that the maneuver secondaries are, you have to pick one of them because it prevents armies from just sitting there and doing yes. and gunlining. You have to have mobile parts of your army. So recon. Have a unit at least partially in each table quarter at the end of your player turn. You may only count as being one in, in one table quarter at a time for the purposes of this rule. It's one point per turn. Starting on turn two, if you have two units in every table quarter, you earn two points per turn. So you can max this out fast with the right build. Absolutely. Like if you can yeah. flood the field with units. And it's not hard to get units in... All four table quarters. Well, and, and cross the halfway line, and you're there. What yeah. I like about this, though, is is in conjunction with the kill, you know, secondary missions that you have to take one of. If you build an, if you build a specific army, say Venom Spam, to flood the table and specifically do table quarters, you now have a lot of very small killy things that stack really well for these uh, other secondary missions. So you're putting yourself, you're having to make tactical choices in your list building. To try to score this secondary, I'm now vulnerable to this other one. And I like that. It's a good mission design. Well, and the one thing that I'll point out that what you'll see repeated in all of these is it's scored on player turn, not battle round. Yeah. And it seems like a lot of them on starting on turn two, it doubles the effectiveness. So if you only have a game that goes like three, mm-hmm. maybe four rounds, you can still max these out in right. three to four rounds. Right. And actually, that's also been one of the points that's been raised by why going as the defender can be kind of strong and counteract the benefit of going first is because it's scored on player turn. If you're going second, your opponent does not get a chance to respond to yep. what you do. So like I push into like on turn two, uh, you you get your attacks at me. I still have enough units to push into all four table quarters. I score two points. Yeah, well, it goes both ways. The defender can't react to the attacker going into all the quarters. Right, quarters either. but because like game ends after second player, like that is true. That you you there's a little bit more like scoring power goes a little bit more towards the second player, which is fine because shooting power and killing power goes to the first player. Absolutely. Right, exactly. So it it. It, it kind of balances that out. Uh, behind enemy lines, if at least one of your units that does not have the flyer battlefield role <laughs> is wholly within the enemy deployment zone at the end of your f- turn, earn a point. Starting turn two and on, if you have three or more non-flyer battlefield role units wholly within your opponent's deployment zone uh, at the end of your player turn, you earn two points. So again, you know, or, but also getting rid of that, oh, flyers can just get into your deployment zone very quickly. I can score a point. No. No, you have to get you have to get boots on the ground there. Ground control. This one's an end of game one. Earn one point for each objective held at the end of the last battle round played. If you hold all of the objectives, you score all four points. Which, if you hold all of them, you generally will have you'd have more you'd than four points anyway. Already, yeah. So it, it just cap. <laughs> but, but it just it just yeah. makes it clear. It's like if you have every if you hold everything, you automatically king of the hill. At the end of their turn, the player who chose this secondary objective scores one point if they have two or two units that are any combination of non-character multi-model units or units with a Titanic keyword wholly within nine inches of the center of the table. Beginning in the second round, if the player who chose the secondary has four or more qualifying units wholly within nine inches of the center of the table, that player includes... Instead, scores two points. Multi-model unit means a unit that consisted of more than a single model immediately prior to the start of the game. So if your unit is down to one guy, he still counts for this. Sure. And again, it's not only your army has to be in the middle. You have to have units within the middle, which means you are playing for a particular spot on the table. Which also means if you're a tournament organizer, make sure the middle of the table is open so somebody can actually get models there. 
I feel Who like we're targeted that? by that. <laughs> yeah. we, I know we like to put the big thing in the middle. I, I anymore I try, try to I try to put like two kind of just yeah. flanking. Well, now the we do, yeah. yeah. But early on, yeah. But but <laughs> since this is a mid, like if you exactly if you build your table the wrong way, you you've prevented people from choosing this as an option. So sure. don't do that. Engineers, this is very much similar to the old engineers. Two non-character, non-fortification units from your army to be engineers. Starting on battle round two, if one or more of these units start your turn within three inches of the same objective marker you control and it did not make any attacks or manifest any psychic powers uh, during your turn, earn one point at the end of that turn. If you have two engineer units perform this role on two separate objectives and one or more of the objectives is outside your deployment zone, earn two points. These units may not score this objective if they join other units during the course of play. Or split into multiple units. So if you mob up your engineers, they stop being engineers. Or if you combat squad this team, they are no yeah. longer engineers. Right. Units chosen from engineers may never benefit from a rule that makes them keeps them from being the target of attacks, which is they used yeah. to have. Sure. I think the the first thing is this is the one that only kind of starts at turn two. Right. And I don't know that that second. I mean, in the in the current thing, I used engineers a lot because it was nice to have like a one and then a backup. Now you're probably going to try and push one of the groups forward, or and maybe th- both groups forward to try and get. And that again, two points. I think that's one of the goals of this is to encourage players to move out of their deployment zones because engineers was a very easy one to score if you could just camp a tiny model on an objective oh, yeah. out of line of sight and mm-hmm. just be like, oh yeah, they're like especially this objective's on a ruin. Or you can't see through it because ITC targeting rules. So I, I just earn a point of turn. You can't do anything about it. Well, and um, that's one thing now is you can't. Well, I guess you can still put them in ruins, but you can't put objectives in in buildings, right? Yeah. Which happened before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> now, now another new one. This one's weird, and I don't know if I like it. Sappers. It's like negative it's like reverse engineers select two non-character non-fortification non-flyer battlefield role units from your army to be sappers so long as a sapper unit ends your turn within three inches of an objective outside of the controlling player's deployment zone and make no attacks or attempt to manifest any psychic powers of the turn the sapper unit may render the objective unscorable for any primary or secondary objectives for the sappers unit sapper unit's opponent so long as it remains in this state Note, a sapper may render an objective unscorable even if they do not control the objective. Once rendered unscorable, an objective remains in the state until the sapper moves more than three inches away from it, is destroyed, makes any attacks, or manifests any psychic powers. If at the end of your turn your sappers have rendered any objectives unscorable, earn one point. Starting turn two and on, you may you can earn up to a maximum of two points per turn for sapping two or more objectives, units chosen to be sappers may never benefit from a rule that keeps them from being the target of attacks. So same as engineers. Same same thing with like if they ever split into or mob up with other units, they stop being sappers for the rest of the game. So I think this is probably going to be one of the popular ones just because it's it's kind of got the dual purpose. One, yep. I score something. And two, I deny you from scoring something. Well, and it's also one that they, they specifically called out where you don't have to control the objective. You yes. just have to get close. So... Somebody runs their mob of 30 boys forward to take an objective. Hi, I've got way more models. Two dudes run up and go, nope, can't score this turn. Yeah. I mean, but die, the, the but fl- yeah. yeah, that's the flip side is <laughs> it'll only be a one turn yeah. delay because, well, then if you attack them, you're either going to kill them if they're only two units or as soon as you attack yeah. them, they're attacking back and suddenly they, they sure. aren't sapping. But, but it's, it's just one of those where it's very interesting. It's a very interesting interactive play. play oh, yeah. So. I, I have a feeling this is one that's probably you will see a but lot. Sappers have to get out there on the field. Yeah. Um, also, Sappers does not start on, on turn two. It just starts on turn two to double the points that you can earn 
if you sap two or more objectives. Like most all the others, yeah. But uh, you could sap an ob- if you can get an objective, if you can get the sapper unit outside of your deployment zone on onto an objective turn one, you can sap, a- you can get a point. Yeah. Because it's just as soon as you render it, or if it is still unscorable at the end of your turn, you get a point. So, but it has, it can't be your home deployment zone. So again, you have to get out there, have to move. So if you have a lot of units and you have a, like a couple of, like I could see Eldar jet bikes being like a small squad of three jet bikes being perfect for this. Cause just like zoom them forward and cause they just have to end the turn within three inches of the objective. They don't have to start there. They can just. just yeah. But even then it, I think this might be, unless you play it well, hard to max out the points. I do agree. I agree there because these units are going to be targeted because... And especially once you've sapped something, they're really going to be targeted. Right. (laughs) So you kind of have to, I guess, do a little bit of finesse here too, which is nice. Yeah. I I like that there's more mission options in here that are not just kill your opponent. Yeah. (laughs) I think this one is just, it's a little bit trickier because you've got to keep track of which objectives have been sapped at any given time. Just flip them over. Yeah. (laughs) It's one of those things, like, you just have to remember to do that. It's a lot easier than putting a little six-sided die that said what the objective was after you determined what... Don't miss that. (laughs) This is is a cool idea. I... I look forward to seeing this one get played and get all the feedback and then seeing what it's improved to next season. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I, I think it's a cool idea... I think this is probably one that you mentioned will get used a lot and probably get exploited, and they'll probably have to make some adjustments to it. But I like what they're trying to do with it. And then final one is the Postman. Select a single model from your army that does not have the vehicle, monster, or Titanic, with the exception of Imperial Knights and Chaos Knights, which may be made the Postman. So your Townar cannot be a Postman. Bobby G cannot be a... No, he's not Titanic. Uh... No, he's yeah. Uh, but they, they they gave the exception for knights because there's uh, all knight armies. Mortarian can't because he yeah. I think he's a he's a monster. At this he's, point. yeah yeah. Eldar jet bikes. Yeah. Eldar jet bikes. Uh, do they have the vehicle keyword? I don't think so. Then they would be, they would be a perfect one. Yeah, but it has to be a single model, right? That, you pick, so you have you to pick, track. Well, no, but you pick one jet bike, put in a mo- a, a squad of like nine. Yeah. Because you can. Because the model can be in a unit. You still, and then if they take wounds, well, pull off all the non-postman ones. Yeah. <laughs> so a single model from your army that does not have vehicle, monster, or titanic, the exception of Imperial Knights or Chaos Knights, which can maybe made the postman. So at least those armies aren't screwed out of yeah, this one. Yeah, that's, that's the sole reason so that's in there. Select those yeah. keywords. To be the postman, this model can be in a unit. The model may choose to gather intel on an objective within three inches that you control at the end of your turn. You may only gather intel from each objective once per game. You earn one point for each objective you gather intel from. At the end of the game, you have if you have gathered uh, intel from every objective on the table, you automatically score four points. Nice. But by that time, hopefully, you if there most of these have like five or six objectives on the table. So again, you'll probably have done that anyway. Yeah, just zoom around each each point. Yeah. But yeah, I do think that this isn't... I've seen some people refer to this one possibly as a trap objective, but I disagree. I think there's some neat things that can be done with it. But again, if you pick a big unit of bikes, somebody could take Reaper and target mm-hmm. your bikes because wounds worth of bikes will can go towards Reaper. And I think that's yes, maybe because it, it's infantry swarms, bikers, or drones. See, and I think that's what they mean by it maybe being a trap is I think that building your army specifically to score this leaves you vulnerable to other things where you might end up giving up more points right but uh, but that's that's why the the two things on this one that you have to make sure of is it's the actual model like it's not the unit that it's in the model itself has to get within three inches Mm -hmm. of the objective and 
you also have to consistently track which model it is. And that's one where if player, I could see some players fudging it if they're not honest. It, it's, it's the room. Yeah. It, it's one that has the most wiggle room for dishonest players to take advantage of, I think. Yeah, potentially. Well, the other thing about this is you have to control the objective. So zooming around, you'd still have to yeah, right. clear it out. Right. So, so there is that as well. Which also might be a reason for it to be kind of a trap objective because yeah. you can't just hold the objective. You it's have, not a, yeah, it's not a game. Or you can't just like, visit it like you can with a sapper. Yep. And if you have a sapper, they can't also be a postman because Correct. they can't stack. Well, also if someone sapped things, you can't. Um, right, because it's unscorable. Yeah, right. So those are all the objectives, and again, you have to pick one second, one seek and destroy, one, one, uh, one maneuver, and then one of both. Also, the bonuses have changed. On all the, uh, on, or not on all the objectives or on all the missions, but on some of them. Uh, so the, and a lot of them are now easier to get the bonus because ITC, the old ITC is like you, so, bonuses were very hard to get. Super hard. Unless, except for like challenge of champ or crucible of champions where it's like, oh, have three characters within scoring range of objectives. That one wasn't too hard to get. But if you have that many characters, if you have that many characters. Uh, so, uh, scenario one. The bonus point is if you can hold or contest four or more objectives at the end of their player turn. That's not that hard to get. Holding or contesting. Yeah. Second one, uh, if the player controls the center, this is one where you place three objectives, one in the middle, and then one in each deployment zone. If the player controls the center objective and the objective they placed, which is in their opponent's deployment zone, at the end of their turn, they get a point. Uh, Next one is four objectives. Uh, placed by players. If the player holds both objectives outside either player's deployment zone at the end of their turn, earn a point. Because you have to place, each player has to place one objective outside their deployment zone, and then the other one can be anywhere, or in their deployment zone. So if you hold the two middle objectives, you earn the bonus point. At scenario four, you place five objectives, one in the middle, and then everybody places two. Uh, If the player controls both of the objectives they placed on the table at the end of the turn, they earn a point. Uh, five precious cargo, which is the where you you move one of the objectives to be the priority objective, and it used to be I think you had to hold both priority objectives to get the bonus. Now it's just you have to hold your opponent's priority objective. Okay. And then number six, crucible of champions, is the same. Okay. If you have three I'll, models with, I'll the, jump back one. Yeah, um, it's either hold the opponent's primary objective or, or hold three. Yes, or just hold three objectives. Okay, okay so I missed skip that one. So again, easier to score if your opponent's yeah. is like way in the back near a building, hidden away out of line of sight. Ah, screw that one. I'm just going to hold these yeah. these three. And then crucible of champions is. Uh, objectives like control or if you have three models with the character keyword in scoring range of three different objectives at the end of the player turn you score a point also they've changed the placement on where like on the fixed objective missions they tried to place them in such a way that no deployment zone should get more than like yeah. more than two i think but definitely trying to get yeah. a, a no more than one if they can help it no, I, I do like these mission rebalances. I think they're going to encourage different types of play styles where rather than just the static kill everybody on the table. Um, I think static kill everybody on the table is still going to be good because it's it still always a war is. game. <laughs> like if you kill your opponent, it's still easier to squirk objectives. Um, although but, if you just sit there because of how tabling yeah. changes, let's say you, you have been sitting stationary for like turns yeah. one through four. You now have two turns to try to get out yep. and score yeah, the yeah. other mo- maneuver objectives you have. No, uh, uh, which and that's is one good. of the things I like. Yeah. That, like I said, I, I, it's encouraging, it's encouraging more mobility, more interaction. 
and more interaction more than just like I shoot and you pull models off the table. Well, um, and we've said for a long time, <laughs> mission choice, mission design yeah. informs army selection. Absolutely. And so they are, it's a way to address this. And, and I think with, while it's obvious that they some of these missions have been designed to target particular armies, like obviously Primaris Marines are being targeted, Tau drones are being targeted, it's not being done in such a blatant, ham-fisted fashion that it still doesn't let those armies yeah. function. I, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even say they're being targeted, although I think in some of the earlier discussions for these, I think they, they absolutely they were. Absolutely were. <laughs> I think they, they settled on the final version of these where I don't think those units are being targeted. They're just being they're not having the same loopholes that they had in some Agreed. of the previous missions. Yeah, but, so I is, guess maybe that's what I mean by target yeah. is they're they're finding the the units that slip through yeah. the cracks yeah. and address and Cause, address. Because I don't want to I don't want to say targeted because that makes it sound like ITC hates Tau drones and they want to. Uh, Everybody hates think, Tau drones. I, think I don't that's think fair. that's the case. I think they just don't want to have this unit. They want this unit to be a choice that has upsides and downsides, like taking tac marines or taking fire warriors or whatever. Yeah. So, um, no, I. I I've been, I was really impressed. This whole process I've actually been impressed with of like collecting, you know, getting the missions out there, collecting feedback, uh, making adjustments. They, they kind of set forth what their objectives were early on, like yeah. what they were trying to do with this. And I, it's been really neat to like see that because, you know, Rob and I are at least, I think everyone else is, but we're in the ITC like tournament organizers thing. So we see some of these discussions going on in the background. It's just been a really fascinating experience to see. Right. And people are t- testing this and they're taking it seriously and they yeah. are trying to make sure that it's fair yeah. without, but again, like addressing like these, these units are obviously problem units. Mm-hmm. And, and we've talked about that with ITC that it is possible, at least in older drafts of the, I, the older versions of the ITC missions to build an army that did not like was very hard to score against mm-hmm. without having to take objectives and, that were bad for you. And that's going to come up in this new version as well. Like, there's going to be... We have a year until things get looked at again. Somebody will find exploits. Somebody will figure out how to manipulate sappers or, you know, and and win off of that. That's just part of the game. Yeah. But, like, them continuing to refresh the missions and make changes minimizes that, and it means that players have to adjust to the missions, which I like. Yeah. And they should. And so and this does take some of the ideas... It does. It takes some of the ideas from Chapter Approved 2019, especially mm-hmm. with like Attacker Defender, uh, deploying your entire army, which I was, I was honestly surprised they went all in on that. Yeah. Cause they, they yeah. had, they had kind of done the half and half thing in past years and I thought they might keep that, but I, they have decided to just go all in on that. Getting rid of C's is, uh, cause that, they, even Chapter Approved 2019 didn't go that far. Yeah. And, uh, so it, getting rid of C's was still, was yeah. a surprise, but I, but I, but I, I, I like think it. it's a good think it's decision. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I'm really, like, other than a couple of concerns for, like, sappers and, and things like that. And that's more in, yeah. as far as, like, player behavior and making sure that players, yeah, and that's play just knowing fairly. that players are going to manipulate it. And, right. And, and I don't even mean to manipulate it, like, by cheating. I just mean manipulating it by, like, building their lists around these secondaries. Oh, stuff. no, I, 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 I mean cheating. I, I absolutely I am mean tra- cheating. I, I know there will be some people that do that. <laughs> I'm not as concerned about that. I just mean that, like, in general, Players are going to play these missions. They're going to figure out what works, what doesn't, what yeah. what are the easiest to score. Because when you're making a mission pack this complicated, it is impossible to perfectly balance. Oh no, that's true. Yeah, there's so. too many variables to balance this entire field. But this goes a long way towards, I think, kind of recalibrating the the competitive field. Absolutely. Yeah. 
All right, so that brings us to listener mail finally, because th- there was that was a a lot of like at first blush, it's like, oh yeah, it's ITC missions. The mm, general structure is not that different, but is, there's a lot of fundamental this changes. Is honestly, the biggest change since they integrated, like at the end of seventh, when they integrated the Nova and the Renegade missions. Yeah, it. no, it really, this is, is the biggest change they've done in a while. Right. Okay, so listener mail. All these letters are written by you, the listeners. And if you want to know how to uh, get a letter read on the air, uh, we'll tell you how at the end of the segment. Now, this first one is not technically a letter that was sent to us. This was a comment on our last episode. And I felt it is a fair criticism to read. And I wanted to address a couple of the points in it. Uh, So this is from David Davis, which is a great name. I just want to say. David writes, I listened to the podcast in my car. This morning, I found myself yelling at the radio. You started off talking about how un- uncomfortable you are banning certain models from your events because participants have spent time and money on those models. Several minutes later, you mentioned moving the Thunderfire Cannon to Legends because it is broken. Then the conversation moved to different formats, some that might include units from the Legends category. As a hobbyist who's been collecting and playing since 2nd Edition, I find the idea of moving any models to a Legends category infuriating. I have about 9,000 points of Dark Angels model. The vast majority will end up in the Legends category. I've won awards for some of my models how would a legends format work if gw no longer supports the models where would you find the points cost for those units if you were required to play a previous version of the game to use those models then you need to bring even more books the current version and whatever previous version you need to play legends at one point i owned six different armies all painted i'm down to two now i can no longer justify spending the time and money required to play this game so there's a lot to unpack there yeah so so i i want to i think Part of it is the conversation about not banning models and then the Thunderfire specifically in Legends probably stemmed a lot from some of the stuff I was saying. Yeah. In my opinion, there is a difference between somebody as a TO banning models and saying this is too powerful and I'm making the call. Yeah. There's a difference between that and GW saying we're no longer supporting these models as a company. Here's the last rule update and we're not doing anything with them. Those are two separate things. Yeah. I am personally, I personally don't want them to scrap all of the space marine you know old tac marine stuff and put it into legends do i see gw doing that absolutely i don't personally want it i'm not going to make that call in my events to do that right but if gw does that and they make that call we have to deal with it like that's that's personally for and me, and i know i brought up i brought up the center fire cannon because it is it is considered by by many, although with some of the changes that we're going to talk about second, second part of the show, yep. maybe not as much anymore. It's still a very strong unit, yep. but it's also a unit that has not been released in plastic. And it's it, a pain to put together. It is a, the metal version yeah. was a total pain it to put together. A nightmare. And the, I've heard the fine cast version, not much better not because much it's better. cast from the metal molds, which aren't great. Well, and, and I think the reason why we were talking about moving it to legends was not because it is overpowerful, although that was part of the conversation that got us to that model. Yes. So part of it, like, and I'm splitting hairs a little bit and stuff like that, but I just want to clarify the conversation we had, because I think we were having a couple of different conversations. That, that kind of overlapped, yeah. The the point of moving old Marine stuff, like the Thunderfire Cannon, or old, you know, old Captains, yada, 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 into Legends category would not be because they're overpowered. It would be because GW would make the decision to, we're not going to support metal slash fine cast models for old marines finger quotes when we have new primaris plastic stuff right that's the decision that i could see that would lead to the thunderfire cannon being moved to legends not the thunderfire cannon is super overpowerful 
I could totally see that if they move it to Legends, they release a Primaris Thunderfire Cannon with a revised that does exactly data the same thing. Yeah, like, or I, I or could, revise yeah. the yeah. And at any time, they could choose to revise the Thunderfire Cannon data sheet, as sure. evidenced by the fact that they have chosen to revise data sheets in the past and mm-hmm. have released errata. So it's like. Yeah. Now, I will admit, I was probably the one who said, well, yeah, this is a unit's considered broken, so maybe sure. it's best if we move it out there because it's not being rebalanced properly. That I'll, I'll cop to that. Yeah. I, I, I will say the other point that was brought up here is having lots and lots of old models that yeah. you don't think are going to be supported. Well, and this that, is, that, that's and, a, and, and that's a is, concern about the Legends line in general. And I think this was the third part of the conversation that I think kind of bled together. We were specifically as TOs talking about including Legends events or doing Legends events specifically to be able to support those old models. Right. Because what happens when something gets moved to Legends? So far, we have a very small amount of, you know, sample size to work from. GW releases the final data sheet and says, this is the final point cost. This is the final data sheet for X model. We are never touching it again. Which I don't know if I necessarily believe at some point they probably will if it goes to 10th edition or what, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. But like, we're not updating this anymore. We're not including it in FAQs. We're not including it in points updates for chapter approved. This is the points for it. Play with it as you want using this data sheet. What we were talking about was most competitive events are going to say if it's Legends. Because it's not being rebalanced. Because it's not being rebalanced. We were talking specifically about like with Magic having legends formats or in- formats that include legends to allow people that have a second edition dark angels army that's fully painted right. to come and bring that army and play in our event i i view this legends thing very much as as a positive thing because before they started doing this if a new codex came out and a model wasn't in it mm-hmm. Then guess what? You just didn't. Have- you just didn't get to play it. You, yeah. you didn't have rules to support it. So that was just a model that went on your shelf and became useless right. in playing the game. Now with legend support, there's actually a function, an ability to continue to play these models yeah. in some fashion. In, in some-, some fashion, it's. It's limiting, yes, but they're old models. So that's going to happen. If you're not playing in a competitive event, if you're just playing Basement Hammer, Grail Grash Hammer, use that, use that, no restrictions. Like that's, that's the thing. I, I like that they're supporting this. And I, the problem I think in our conversation of it is that we were having a conversation about balance, a conversation about TOs banning stuff, and a conversation about legends. That kind of bled back and forth. Yeah, I, I'll agree. And we were having it was meant to be three separate conversations. And, and it, I think we and it just kind of flowed stream. So, yeah, yeah. That's and, I, that. That's why we wanted. I was because we wanted to kind of clarify that. That was that probably should have been better as three separate conversations or three lines of thinking. Yeah, we weren't as clear yeah. about that as we could. Now, to answer his question, how would a Legends format work if GW no longer supports the model? Where would you find the points costs? They're on the GW website. You yep. can go to da- to the FAQs and download sections of WarhammerCommunity.com and download the list, the current list yep. of Legends. And it is all the data sheets and all the final point costs. They have said, we're like, when we release, when we move something to Legends, it, we, we point cost it one yep. last time. We put one one last version of the data sheet, and from that point on, that's the final version. We're not going to update it in chapter approved. You're not going to see it reprinted in a codex, but we do want to have rules out there. And also, it's an acknowledgement of 
we're not putting out the indexes anymore. Like the yeah. indexes are are done. Everything yeah. except for Legend or except for Legion of the Damned, everything that's been released up to this point or like every model has at least a white dwarf yep. like index for it or a mate or a full codex. Yep. And that's, you know, eventually models that they no longer make are going to just at some point you have to you have to cut bait. Well, we, we talked about it specifically several times with like the Space Marine Codex. There's before they, you know, without even with splitting it into the six supplements, that codex is like over a hundred pages of a, with like 90 of, some data sheets in it. And gene- and that's just, just the generic stuff. That yeah. doesn't even get into like faction specific. Like it's too much. At some point you're going to have to start culling. And that's why I think like as a prediction, even though I don't personally agree with this, I think GW is going to start using legends to cull the codexes and simplify them. But down. Uh, just under the excuse of we're just going to take these models out of road, out of production yeah. and now they're legends models. And, and as a company, like they, they have, they, they have the right to do that. I don't know if I agree with that or if I want them to do that, but I think that's absolutely where they would be go, where they're going to go. And uh, I also do want to, like, as, as you point out, if you're just playing Basement Hammer or Garage Hammer or what have you, play whatever. You know, play whatever. Yeah. You, our discussion was purely about competitive play, yeah. like purely tournament competitive play. We were not talking about, like, we think these units should just go away. Yeah. No, like, and that, and that's the thing. Like, that's where the mm-hmm. ban conversation is coming in because at the time, well, all of these... ITC missions were being rewritten, and before the FAQ for Space Marines, there was conversations about TOs banning certain Space Marine models. Well, should we ban the Thunderfire Cannon? Should we ban the Leviathan Dread? And it's like, I am personally uncomfortable with me as a TO making the decision to ban a model. I am not a game I designer. I'm not- I think it's overpowered. Yeah. That gets into a lot of subjectivity where I'm like, that. that's a slippery slope to... I don't like Eldar. I'm just going to ban them as a faction. Well, I'll like, just ban your guys back, and we'll just play with no models on the table, well, Kevin. And and that's what I'm getting at. Like, it, <laughs> that becomes a weird slippery slope that I don't feel comfortable to make those decisions. GW has an R&D team and a production team and game designers that get paid for this. If they make that decision, not to say they always make the right decision. Which we'll address later. <laughs> um But if they make that decision, I have to respect it, because they have a lot more perspective on this than I do. So uh, that's... That's where that conversation came from, and I can absolutely understand why it, why it got muddled because I think it got muddled as we were having that conversation. Right. So, but yeah, I, as far as the the issue of I have somebody having a ton of old model, like nine thousand some points of an old old army, there, or buddy. having like six painted armies. I have an entire old model army that I can't play. So, <laughs> I, I mean, I it, it, it it's an honest. Okay, to be you fair, can still use the models. You can still use the models. It, it's an honest concern. So it's an it, it is an honest concern, but I also think as the as a game moves forward, what is and isn't useful is going to change. Absolutely, new things are going to be released, and to GW's credit, they've tried to do what they can to make sure that old models don't completely fall by the wayside. But if you have like nine thousand points of of models going back to second edition, which at this point is. 25 years or more uh, the 90s mid 90s because well, actually older like 27 28 years uh, easily because we were playing in like in college second edition yeah that was 95 96 so yep. yeah so at least 25 years now imagine legends rules for squats oh i love that <laughs> i would love that yeah yeah they, like, there's no reason why they couldn't they just yeah, had to have just that. haven't yet yeah <laughs> right what they can put squats in legends <laughs> 
I'd be cool with that. But, uh, you know, I, I, I feel for you. Yeah. And I, I, however, I don't know if it's, is it GW's responsibility to support an army build, a particular army build or a particular player's collection in perpetuity? Yeah. And I, to be fair, as, like, as a business, probably not. Absolutely not. Yeah. As a, as a cynical business, like, yeah, it's not. Like, you want people buying new models constantly. I get that. I think GW has been, well, yes, they have been pushing new models and stuff like that. And I think Legends will be a way to potentially do that. I think they've been pretty good about not just cynically saying, nope, buy all the new stuff. It has the best rules. I, I think they've fallen into that sometimes. But I think they've actually done a good job of supporting older stuff. I mean, um, the the analog I'll toss over here is video game consoles. Yeah. When a new video game console comes out, most all the old games are obsolete. yeah. Backwards yeah. compatibility is a rarity. Like yes. there was a there was a brief period where like oh the PlayStation Two can play PlayStation One games yeah. and the Nintendo DS can play GBA games. And they quickly Guess, realized that they lost money on that model and suddenly and then the later version of the Nintendo DS doesn't have a GBA spot anymore and oh. the PlayStation Three could play PlayStation One and PlayStation Two games and then it was way too expensive to keep doing that so they stripped out the PlayStation Two compatibility. It's not it's not a perfect comparison. But, you know, yeah. we go back to the magic yeah. Yeah. comparison of where magic's on like a quarterly rotating cycle where like every quarter, like they retire a set or every, you know, every, every they, year now they it's retire like, a set yeah. and they have a new set. It's like, that's, if GW thought they could get away with that, they would probably try to do that with but their But again, game. that like, was to Richard's <laughs> argument of magic yeah. also has formats yeah. where those old cards can exactly. be played. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I, I and, think that's... And also yeah. I don't want to go through another year of 18 plus codexes coming out. Yeah. <sighs> well, and also... I love the content, but... No. <laughs> <laughs> Can't keep up with it. But but also, to that point, you know, we were talking about like Magic has all these formats where cards from like certain eras are or aren't allowed. And then there's also Kitchen Table Magic, which yeah. is play whatever you want, which is my favorite form of playing Magic, yeah. <laughs> and which is the equivalent of Garage Hammer, where... I don't care if something is yeah. Legends. If I've got a data sheet and points for it, which GW has provided, and remember, the Legends downloads are free. Well, and even in the yeah, well, like even in the first the first version of Chapter Approved, uh, 2017, 2016, whenever whichever it was, had rules for like making your own custom characters. Or no, custom. Or that custom, one had custom battle one wagons. Had, one of them had yeah. custom battle first, wagons. One had custom. Or no, custom land raiders. Custom, custom land raiders, raiders the first year. Yeah. Battle wagons the second. And then year. there was custom characters. Yeah, so it's like GW is providing rules to be like, no, if you have a cool character model like that doesn't have a data sheet for it, here go play it. Just don't play it competitively. So like they're doing, I think, a good job. They're trying. In, they're, they're trying, trying to, to do a good bo- job. They're trying both. to trying yeah. to fit both audiences because they realize a lot of their audience is not a competitive audience yeah. and doesn't care about legends. But they also have to, for the health of the competitive scene, which does drive sales yeah. and helps them it helps them play test and fit and solve issues. They also have to keep a game that is healthy because an unhealthy game yes. stagnates. And, yeah. I mean, there was a lot of talk. Now, how, how realistic that talk was, but when Iron Hands were clearly dominating, there was a lot of chatter about, and eh, maybe I'm not going to go to events because I'm tired of playing against the same Space Marine armies over yeah. and over again. And that, and that's what happens if a game is unhealthy. Magic had the, has had the same thing. Like people are like, I didn't want to play standard because you know I know I don't know for how much crossover there is, but there were some, there were a couple of cards that were very unbalanced. Yeah, and the format where you rotate every year was suddenly 
unbalanced because uh, nobody wanted to play this because they're going to end up playing against the same deck that wins uh, ever, after four turns. 40k has this as well. If you remember in the past, nobody wanted to play Leaf Blower. Yeah. Because Leaf Blower was big everywhere and it stayed and around. And nobody wanted to play against Razor Spam yeah. or Cybolt Spam. or like yeah, yeah, we go through periods of that and the best way to fix that is to be on top of what's going on and constantly keep the game fresh and healthy. And GW has done a way better job of doing that and acknowledging past mistakes, which again we'll get to in our second part. <laughs> so anyway, I think we, I, I hopefully, David, we've addressed some of these issues and concerns yeah. you have. And I know it's not going to be a perfect solution. Yeah, it's going to be hard when you have an old army that doesn't feel like it's as supported as it could be. But trust me, we are not suggesting that your army should be made useless. No. Far from it. Yeah, we are encouraging people to have formats where that's playable. But it might, but for the health of the game, it might not necessarily be in a hardcore competitive yeah. setting. And and I will say this just as a last statement on this all: if we make comments or something like that that you don't understand or like you don't feel contradictory, let us know. call us like, out call on us it. out on it. Like yeah. give us feedback. We wanna we want to encourage these types of discussions and make sure that what we're saying is clear and like consistent. So, yeah, yeah. So. So we appreciate it. All right. Uh, next up from Thomas Weisenhunt. What's your favorite 40 k character from any army or any source, and why? Eisenhorn. That that that's a pretty. Easy. I mean, that's why I wanted to go first because okay, like, it's because that's yeah. Because you didn't want to, you thought I'd steal it from you, right? Because like <laughs> the, like I I love the fact that they have the model now. I even love the, like the fi- the fifty millimeter like Inquisitor model they have for it. Um, it's just a cool, it's just a cool character. Love Inquisition stuff like. I wish Inquisition was actually playable <laughs> as an army. Like, uh, yeah, I, yeah, Eisenhorn. <laughs> uh, another Inquisitor. I also like Rex. Yeah. He's pretty cool. Rex is pretty awesome. <laughs> and do you want to guess mine? Eldrad? No. Jane Zar? Yes. Jane Zar. Okay. That was, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's I was say Jane Zar or Lilith. So. <laughs> yeah, Jane, Jane Zar. And that goes back to college, actually. <laughs> yeah. Because w- when we first got in, I was enamored by the Eldar. I love the Aspect Warriors. They were too expensive at the time. <laughs> Cause, well, I'm glad that's changed. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but no, and, and she was just an awesome character, just cutting swaths through the battlefield is just like oh my gosh this is this is a cool character who can stand up to anything i mean times have changed and characters aren't as strong as they were in second edition where they were they were game they were changers army, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, that's i was just always enamored and i thought the model looked cool i still need to get the new model and the new model looks even better so i'm excited to get her and then get her back on the battlefield sometime um, I'm going to go Talos of First Claw from the uh, oh. Night Lords trilogy by Aaron Dembski-Bowden. Uh, I've nice. seen some really cool modeling conversions of First Claw, but he's a really neat character because that's one of those characters like he's technically a villain, but he's the protagonist of this piece, but yeah. he's also not a good person, but <laughs> it, it it's it, he's very layered and complicated and I find him very interesting. Nice. So, uh, and like I said, there's... I've seen some neat uh, kill team conversions of doing first claw. So, nice. so that yeah, that's mine. All right, next up, Robert Bomer. Are the Tau actually actually the Necron tier? Interesting theory. I don't um, think so. I don't think so because I don't think the timeline winds, lines up. But yeah, it's a very interesting because the Necron tier were millions and millions yeah. and millions of years ago, and the Tau were a primitive species that hadn't even discovered black powder weapons when they were years ago, like five thousand. Like 5, years yeah. Ago, yeah, like they they the Tau have been uplifted quite a bit, and that's part of their and maybe there's a connection. Like they maybe maybe they were uplifted by the Necron tier that like woke up early or something. Like there's. 
there is a mystery as to how the Tau became the Tau Empire. Uh-huh. Um, and I kind of hope they never explain it. Like, yeah, it's, it's one, one of the, there's several of those like 40k mysteries where uh, kind of like the like, the how exactly do ethereal work it like yeah, it's been yeah. argued back and forth it's pheromones or low level psychic connection or something but we well, know that when ethereals go away suddenly that control is not <laughs> there like it's not just wired into the towel but like also purely. like the, the the mystery of like what happens when the imp- you know what happens if the emperor dies i kind of don't ever want to find out like let it be let a mystery. This, like, let these things be mysteries. Like, that's the fun of the setting. I still think it's going to happen at the end of the books. I think it probably will, but... I, okay, I will yeah, it, uh, yeah. I will say there's one clear argument for why the Tau and, are not the Necron tier. Feet. <laughs> no, no, seriously. Seriously, follow me here. <laughs> Necron, the Necron tier built Necron bodies based on, like, their own, uh, their own physiology. And sure. Necron warriors have five-toed human-style feet. feet hooves. Yeah, and no. Tau have hooves. <laughs> That there, that's it right there. Feet, it's the feet. That's that's the. Okay, Tarantino. Anyway, um, <laughs> I'm not saying I have a towel foot fetish. I'm not saying I don't have a towel foot fetish either. And yeah. moving on. <laughs> Dep- depends on what you have for like ten thousand years of evolution. Yeah, fair, fair. So, no, I don't think they are. But uh, there's definitely there may there may very well be a connection there though. Yeah. <laughs> okay next up from riley kateria hi preferred enemies i just got my first set of rubric marines dusty boys and i'm trying to start a kill team i have a couple of rules and straight up stupid questions to ask so let's get to it i would like to know what an invulnerable save is because my dusty boys have favorite of zinch also what is the difference between a flesh wound and a mortal wound Lastly, I'm trying to make a kill team, and I want a Soul Reaper Cannon Marine to be my heavy specialist, and the data, re- data sheet says something along the lines of, for every 10 Marines in a unit, one can have a Soul Reaper Cannon. I cannot find the exact wording currently. I want to know if I can use it in a kill team of less than 10 mo- Marines. Your friend, Riley Kateria, a.k.a. The Noob. Okay, so the data sheet that you get for your your Rubric Marines is not the same as the kill team data sheet. Yeah. Kill team will have... Special rules for Rubik Marines. I did not bring my Kill Team rulebook with me, although Dennis is getting his. Uh, but I, if they can take it, like you can take it as a weapon on a on a Rubik Marine gunner would be the specific like data sheet. But that's Kill Team specific. Mm-hmm. It's in the Kill yeah. Team rulebook. So uh, and Dennis is getting that right now. Uh, as far as what is an invulnerable save, an invulnerable save is a save that is not affected by armor, like mm-hmm. armor penetration modifiers. So, uh, for example, if you have a three up armor save and a five up invulnerable save, um, you take you, a last cannon to the face <laughs> and you, and, and you take a weapon that has like an armor save, uh, or an armor penetration, like you take a melt gun to the face and yeah. it's armor penetration minus four. Okay. So Dennis has the Rubik Marine here. Uh, one, a rubric marine gunner may replace their inferno bolt gun with a soul reaper cannon. Oh, nice. So you just take a rubric gunner, marine yeah. as a rubric marine gunner in kill team and he can have a soul reaper cannon. There's no, nice. you don't have to have 10 models because kill team is not the same as 40k, yes. a, a, as standard 40k. It's slightly different on army. Or it's actually considerably different on army construction. So yeah, you can take a rubric marine gunner with a Soul Reaper cannon without having to have 10 of them. And the nice thing is that's out of the Kill Team core rulebook. Yes. So if you yeah. just buy the Kill Team core rulebook, you'll have all the rules you need to play the game and the data sheets for all the base models. Right. Yep. And that will also include like the Aspiring Sorcerer data, you know, stat or data sheet. Data, well, it's part or, of the Rubric Marine, yeah, so it's just a stat line for him. Yeah. But yeah, so you'll like your box 
of Rubric Marines, you can make an entire kill team out of it. Oh, absolutely. Just with, yeah. just yeah. with that box and the kill team core book. So, uh, as far as an invulnerable, yeah. So an invulnerable save. So like I said, you take a melt gun to the face. Normally, you're three up armor and a melt gun has a minus four AP. So you go from three up, four up, five up, six up, seven up. Oh, wait. I can't take an arm. <laughs> I can't, I can't roll take a seven an- on, up on a D6. Yeah. So I can't take an armor save. <laughs> But I have a five up and vulnerable save, which means I can always take a five up save because yep. that is basically like imagine having a force field in front of you. It doesn't care how tough your armor is. The, the force field will always protect you at least somewhat. Yeah. And that's the advantage of like chaos Thank stuff you. in general is that chaos stuff tends to come with invulnerable saves. So they pretend to have a, they, they purport to have a little bit of extra protection. Uh, against some of the whether how well it pans like out it's yeah, yeah it's reality, up to the dice gods yeah, yeah. all right <laughs> and then finally what is the difference between a flesh wound and a mortal wound and okay so flesh wound is a concept that only exists in kill team yes. it is not part of standard 40k a flesh wound is when a model in in kill team has taken it more wounds than its wound characteristic the little the the number under w on its data sheet normally in traditional 40k that model would just be removed because it's dead in Kill Team, because models, because you don't have very many models, they want to make sure people don't just get taken off the board immediately. So when your opponent does an attack that takes off that last wound, then they roll a d6. On a four, five, or six, that model is just gone. It's dead. It's removed. On a one, two, or three, uh, and this is called an injury roll. On a one, two, or three, that model is still on the board, but takes a flesh wound. And so you put a little token next to it. For every flesh wound you have, you are minus one at your, at shooting fight. Like your weapon skill ballistic skill is at minus one. And then each injury roll, each, uh, flesh wound you have adds one to the injury roll. So now on a, or maybe I, I might, maybe it's a subtraction, but ba- basically it's like each injury you each flesh wound you have makes that injury roll harder to survive. And so once you have three flesh wounds, you can't make the – you will automatically fail that injury roll, and so you'll be removed. But you could end up accruing, like, two – like, up to two of them. No, you were right. Three or less is a flesh wound. And four, then four up is out And then action. you add one to the roll for each flesh wound you have. Yes. Yeah. See, I have been playing Kill Team recently, so I just I just wanted to make sure – like, for a minute there, my brain was like, oh, crap, did I have it backwards? I mean, functionally, it's the same, but I want to make sure I've got it right. So, yeah. So a flesh wound is – a wound like you're nearly dead, but you're still functional. And again, that is a kill team only thing. Something mostly dead. You're mostly dead. A mortal wound is a completely different thing uh, in real, uh, at all. A mortal wound is a wound that you would take from like a, a normal attack or psychic power or something like that, which your army can do because you'll have an aspiring sorcerer for your kill team, uh, that a mortal wound cannot be saved. You do not get an armor save against it. You do not get an invulnerable save against it. It just happens. It is like, like psychic powers just make your brain explode with, you know, whether you have, like, whether you're behind three inches of ceramide armor or not, you just take a damage. Yeah. And a mortal wound could then lead to you taking a flesh wound, but they're, otherwise they're not related. So just a mortal, so just flesh wound is a wound that is just a point that you didn't die, but you're almost dead. A mortal wound is a wound that you automatically take with no save, and an invulnerable save is a save you can always take except against a mortal wound. And a soul reaper cannon is something you can always have in your kill team because you can just buy a rubric marine gunner. 
So hopefully that addresses some of these issues. But yeah, all of this is in the core rule, the, the core manual for kill team. The rules for kill team themselves are relatively slim. It's only like about like 12 to 16 pages for like the actual core rules on how to play. Most of the book is data sheets and specialist rules and things like that. But, uh, but yeah, definitely have a kill team core manual. They're only like 30, yeah. 30 to 40 bucks. That and your, your box of Rubik Marines and you are good to go to play kill team. Uh, next up from Thomas Moore. Thomas writes, Hi, profenemies. Prof- profrenemies. There we go. Hi, profrenemies. Long-time listener, first-time questioner, hoping to get your opinions on a couple of issues. Feel free to pick a f- pick one if you've got a full hopper. Well, they were finally getting to this one, so <laughs> hopper is getting cleared out. Uh, the first is, in the, is the anti-marine atmosphere that is present online in the dark corners of the internet. <laughs> many threads on many forums get derailed due to Marines, main, namely people overly aggressively attacking the Marines players' release cycle and generally promoting Xenos factions becoming neglected NPCs. How do you guys feel about the volume of Marine releases and this bubbling resentment from areas around the community? How is it best handled? How it's best handled is GW addressing it, which they have. <laughs> <laughs> However, I do understand that Xenos players do feel occasionally ignored by not getting new model releases, especially for armies that have a lot of ancient models like Eldar. Yeah, I mean, I mean as one of the Xenos players here... I think we're all, all Xenos are. players. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> yeah. We're also all Imperial and Chaos players. So. Yeah, but I, I more I know, align more myself with the Xenos. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah I, I do say that sometimes it is you get overshadowed by either Space Marines or the Imperium, but how I kind of look at it is... Those are the poster childs of the game. Yeah. Yeah. Is Space Marines and Imperium. They're the ones that should be the top dog. I mean, if they're not the top dog, then something should at least be close there. I, 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 I agree and disagree. <laughs> yeah. So I agree with you being that they're the poster boys and like they get all the attention and it feels and they get like they're what's on the cover of the RPGs. They're what's on the cover yeah. of the core rule book. They're on, you know, like they're on everything. They're on, on the novels. There's a reason I mean, yeah. why it's a Primaris Intercessor was the first model they released in the model line. Like th- that's the point. Like those are the Space Marine. And obviously, yes, I'm, I'm going to say this. I'm going to caveat it with <laughs> yes, they didn't create the concept of Space Marine. Yada yada yada. The Space Marine is the instant iconic 40k thing. Yes, you see a Space Marine, you know it's 40k. If you see a Tyranid. Or you see a Tau Fire Warrior, or you see an Eldar Warrior. If you know, then yeah, you know that's a 40k thing. But it could easily have just been something from Starship Troopers, or something from a weird D and D game, or like so. It's it's the Space Marine is instantly iconically 40k. So there is a GW wanting to continue to push that and pre- you know and and keep them in the forefront. I don't think they should be a better faction, like game balance wise. Well, they yeah, no, be I, I don't think they should be like. As imbalanced as it was, but yeah. I think th- there was a time when Space Marines weren't even cracking yes. the top tens. Right. And I thought that was just as bad as it was. I, I totally agree. So, agree. I mean, I-, I think they should be like one of the top competitive type yes. things. Maybe not as like you said, maybe not sure. like over there, but they should actually be they up there. Well, technically every yeah. army should, yes. in a perfect world, every army would be consistently competitive, yeah. but we know we're not perfect. In, so. We're not perfect. And in practice, you know, it's very hard to fat to, to juggle 20 some factions mm-hmm. and all them and all the models within them. Every Everybody, because they're in all the starter sets, because they're widely available for pretty cheap, everybody has Space Marines. And I know that's an oversimplification, but everybody has Space Marine models. So when Space Marines become super overpowered good, everybody has a Space Marine faction sitting in their closet somewhere. When Eldar cycle back around to being on top, not everybody has a pre-painted Eldar army. 
So there's going to be fewer players that can jump onto that bandwagon. Well, and it's also the similar issue back in the days of like fifth edition when you had like Razor Spam and mm-hmm. like Blood Angel Spam. It's like suddenly there were a bunch of non-red Blood Angel armies running around because like, oh, yeah. well, these are my assault Marines. I don't have jump packs because it's better to not take yeah. jump packs on, on Blood Angels at the time. It's like, it's like you really should have like there was a big argument. And I remember being on the side of I think your army should be painted the army that it should be. Um, that was like, no, you're just a bunch of bandwagoners. And I think that's part of the, uh, part of the, the, the vitriol push- that's going around. Right. Yeah. Is that like, which of these players are space Marine players who finally have an army that can really perform versus which of these players are competitive players that are chasing the meta. Mm. And like, I, cause I was talking, uh, Nathan Martin from yep. uh, show me showdown came down to that, uh, charity event. And he and I, t- I talked about this because this was right after the FAQ hit for that adjusted destroyed Iron sales of his Iron Hands ebook. <laughs> Sorry, inside joke. <laughs> inside, yeah, very inside joke. But uh, well, like he was like Nathan went from being like a dead last player, granted with uh, Gene Steeler Colts, yeah. to switching back to his Marines, and then he was playing them as Ultramarines, and then Iron Hands got really good and he switched over to Iron Hands and actually took like best general at uh like yeah. New Year's knockout. Yeah. And so it's like here's somebody who went from like dead last to top of the field by switching armies. And so I like talked to him it's like how does that feel? It's like well and he's like dude like when I got back into like when I got into the game I start or when I got back into the game I started playing like my own Space Marine chapter yeah. and it just happened like these were the rule like the, these rules were good for my chapter, but I had been a Space Marine player. That was like my preference. I just switched yeah. to trying Gene Steeler Colts because they were so bad. because at the time Space Marines were not good, and he and like he just didn't do well with them. And so now suddenly he has an army that can reward his. And like I've been in that same position too. And like I started playing Tau. I lost every game of Fourth Edition I played with my Tau. I lost every game of Fifth Edition with my Tau. They got slightly better in Six, and then they got the new Codex. And all of a sudden, like, I'm at top tables at local events and stuff. And I'm like, I know that I didn't become a significantly <laughs> better player all of a sudden. I know that this the army is not got count. better the under me. The army you. got better under me. But at the same time, I had been playing that army long enough that I was able to quickly trip position to a way of being able to play that. So it's like, it, skill still matters and things like that. But it everybody has a Space Marine army. So I think there's. The backlash seems to be a little bit more when they were good, and they were very, very good, because everybody can jump on it, and kind of everyone has that knowledge of how to play space marines because they're not—they're not a super complicated faction. No, like they're—they're they're the beginner faction. They're the—you know—they're meant to be the common one. They're meant to kind of be the baseline. They've got a pretty good amount of resiliency. They've got a pretty good amount of tools. They've got pretty good firepower. Pretty good melee. Pretty. So it's like. They're, you know, they're, they're kind of that middle ground army that you don't need to have a lot of tactics to play like Harlequins when Harlequins oh, are like yeah. super good. Even when they're top tier, you still need to be very careful with how you play mm-hmm. them because they're tough three and they're, you know, and they're, they're positioning they, psychic, yeah. all of that comes into play a there's lot not, more. There's not that level of tacticalness with space Marines and there is a level of it, but it's not to the same degree that you need to be good with some of these other factions. So I think some people look at that and go, well, I have to, I have to play my Harlequins for four years and get super detailed, meticulous with the positioning. And this dude just rolls in and rolls his tank up and shoots me off the table. I get that there's a little bit of field bads there, but it's a game. 
it's like, <laughs> but I also like as we said Maybe earlier, it was a bad idea. As we said earlier, though, an unbalanced <laughs> game is unhealthy and causes people to not want to play anymore. Yeah. And I think that's like this was an it. Like this army was obviously an issue, and it was leading to a situation where it's like this is not fun to play anymore. We're playing, especially from a competitive standpoint, if you're just seeing the same two or three army builds at the top of every tournament. And then all through the middle of the round, the middle of the field, because they're the, the players who like the army rewarded the better players, but that didn't stop the mid range players from also playing that army and doing okay and stomping other armies just because they weren't equipped as well. It does lead to feel bads. Yeah. All the marine releases, they, yes, there have been a lot of marine releases, although the last set of marine releases was really like getting some of the scout in like, you know, like the in, in, the inter not the intercessors, the in- inceptors. No, that's the flying ones. The infiltrators, infiltrators and the maybe it is inceptors. Yeah, I'm trying. I to, don't know. There's too many. There's too many in names. We've addressed this before, but yeah, like getting all the <laughs> the vanguard. We'll just say this: the, sure. the vanguard primaris. Like getting all that stuff out. Uh, yeah, there was a, a big glut of those, and that did change up how things were played. Although a lot of the lists we were seeing was still mostly like, especially like the iron hands was. Forge world models and intercessors. I mean that that was heavily mm-hmm. <laughs> heavily what it was leaning on. But I, I really do think the 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 bubbling resentment from areas of the community come from the game was was out of balance. And like I said, Magic saw the same thing. Yeah. Until you know, and when ban you know ban ban and restriction announcements come in, like people are waiting to see like are they going to ban this card because it's obviously a problem because like you can see like. Like certain events, like the mo, like some of the most played cards were like this card is being played more than land. You know that kind of yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was that bad. It was bad. So it's like when there's something that's obviously warping the field, as yeah. Iron Hands were, and as Raven Guard were, as the Space Marine. Yeah, it's going to lead to bad feelings, and people are like this game is is not healthy at this point. What that resentment sometimes gets taken way too personally, and that's when it gets to be a problem. That's a problem. And that, in that case, it's up to the moderators of those communities to step in and kind of tell somebody to take a time out, or or, or you know handle comments that There's way. A reason we don't have a forum, right? Because <laughs> it's <laughs> we, not we, tr- we we tried it at one point. And we decided very quickly that this was not worth between the that and spam bots. <laughs> it's just not worth it. Uh, but uh, and, and you know, mad props to the people that do maintain. Like oh, yeah, I know, yeah. like I know the you know the independent characters have their their community on Facebook, yeah. and even like a Don has to step in and be like, yeah, nope, sorry, we're not having this conversation right now. Because and I just don't want to be on top of that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, how is it best handled by GW addressing the issues? Yeah. And by four moderators like knowing when to to reel somebody back in. Second question. This will probably be the last letter because we've got a th- another one, but it's very long and we need to get on with the show. So I am sorry for the last person on the list, but we will get to your letter next time and you'll be in the hopper. Uh, so the last one is so from Thomas. My other question boils down to whether ITC is becoming a problem in terms of game balance. GW is sh- showing a more of a vested interest in ITC events for balancing despite the potential impact of the different terrain and mission rules. At present, it seems the chapter approved missions give more varied results from the few recorded tournaments, mostly from the uk the most recent warhammer world gt had no marines in the top four for example do you feel the rule sets very well enough to be a problem should gw try and leverage the tournament scene more keep up the great work i always look forward to your new episodes kind regards tom from the uk and i do think that brings an interesting question the uk and the itc are two very yes. different and the itc is a very american yes. uh, yeah. institution uh 
I do think ITC is addressing that, and as as we just discussed, you know, they're bringing in ideas from Chapter Approved, which yeah. is something we had talked about the in our previous episode. Um, and and also again, mission design uh, informs army choice. Well, and, and GW has become much better about this since Eighth Edition dropped about working with the ITC and having them be playtesters and have impact on codexes and stuff like that. And but I think. I think that influence also probably subtly comes back in like the ITC mission designs because I'm sure it's not just a one way conversation. No, it's absolutely not. So I don't know that it's becoming a problem. I think it's probably better to have GWB tapped into the community, the the tournament scene as well. But yeah, there's concerns about like ITC, ITC versus you know UK play versus like GW events. Like they're different formats. But let's also different what are formats what are aren't the necessarily other- bad. But like, what are the other major events that GW has a deep connection with as far as like stateside major tournaments? Adepticon, mm-hmm. Nova Open. Neither of those run ITC missions. Yeah. They run, each one runs their own mission packet. Whether, whatever you may think of those mission, that mission design, they're not running ITC. And it does change up what armies are good. Also, you have to look at like, I don't know if the, and again, I, and I'm saying I don't know. Right. So straight up, I, I don't know, but I would hazard that the players that are showing up at Warhammer Worlds tournaments are not necessarily the same kind that are looking for the kind of game that an ITC tournament would yeah. provide here in the States. So I, I think there, which I think there's more, it'd be interesting to see, were there fewer Marines and there were there no Marines in the top four because there weren't as many Marines in the field and, or they weren't being played by the top players or was it because the mission design of chapter approved suddenly makes marine armies not good? I doubt it's the latter. The one thing I will say is that the mission designs in chapter approved, which is part of the reason why I like them, rely a lot more on Maelstrom and a lot more on other random impacts that ITC has pretty much shied away from because, as we've mentioned before, ITC missions are all about control, all about trying to minimize risk and stability and stabilize your game. Whereas the Maelstrom missions are like, you're literally drawing from a deck what you do next. So that introduces a lot more randomness to the game and a lot more flexibility and like tacticalness. But it is like, it just, it means that the most powerful best army isn't necessarily going to win the game because I got, I got draw screwed this game, you know? So it's like, that that also factors into it as well. So it's it's not just one thing. It's not just oh, ITC missions favor Space Marines. It's and I think I do think that last year I think there were some issues where ITC missions favored killing rather than like durability and mobility. But I think they've addressed that. So I I think there's a number of factors in some of these things as to why you get very different results with the same codexes at different events. And I frankly think it's kind of a good thing. And as far as should GW leverage the try and leverage the tournament scene more, I I don't know if I mean if I if GW wants to get into the competitive organized play scene, then it's either I think with that it's an all or nothing. Yeah. You either lean in hard on it and take it over yourself, which GW has really not shown interest in doing with existing game structures. Yeah. Or you don't do it at all and but you try what they're doing is they're trying to support those games and trying to take the data and monitoring those games so that they can rebalance their product, which is I think what we've seen with the Space Marine FAQ. And I think that's kind of where GW wants to be. I don't think they want to be front and center running all of this stuff, but I think they want to be, for lack of a better term, like kind of like shadow running it in the background uh-huh. and like influencing the ITC and influencing like these events. 
it with like, okay, we've collected the data from LVO, so now we're going to tweak it so that next season's ITC is going to have the same issues. Well, I, I think well like, I, I think that that has leaned into that that GW seeing how the game is played and how it's perceived has led to things like I imagine, and again, this is me armchair quarterbacking this. I have no direct count, but I would not doubt that those conversations that they've had with people like Reese and other yeah, mm-hmm. and other like Reese Robbins and other organizers have led to things like the ITC code of conduct Absolutely. and the LVO policy that if you want to be in our top tables, you have to have a fully painted army because hey, Big Daddy GW is watching these streams and we want to show their product off in a nice way. Absolutely. And if you don't have an army that fits this, because I think the year we like that first year we went to LVO, that was an issue that those mm-hmm. armies, like the armies that are on the top There's tables, a couple, yeah, that were they were not up, they were not tabletop quality, and it didn't look good. Yeah, and so if you're going to run a flagship event, you better be prepared to show off the product as a flagship product. So, so I guess what I'm going to ask, I think that GW is doing it, but I don't think they're doing it directly. I, I think they're having influence, and their their impact is being felt. They're clearly more involved with the community. But I don't think that they want. I don't think they want to take over the tournament scene. No, it because that's a lot of. It's work a symbiotic relationship. Yeah, because GW profits the most when their game is popular, when people are interested and engaged, and that means people are going to events. Events do best when the game is healthy. And people feel like the game is somewhat balanced and can have fun with it. And so the, it's up to the tournaments to present the game and get people engaged. It's up to GW to create a game that is that people want to engage with. Yeah. If they can both handle that, and I think so far, it's working way better than it ever has before. Oh, absolutely. So, so yeah. Is the ITC too powerful thing? No, I think... Because ITC even says... We're really just a point tracking system. Yeah. We'll put a mission packet out there. You don't have to use it. Yeah. You like, you'll earn ITC points for going to Adepticon, even if you never play an I- yeah. Adepticon mission. Like, we're choosing to use the uh, ITC kill team missions and the ITC champs missions because we like them and we think they... And people are familiar with People them. are familiar with them. There's a lot to be said there. But I also don't mind the idea of people running their own missions. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we we had we ITC points and, for ran, a long ran, time. and yeah. ran Renegade missions for a long time. And if Renegade comes out, the new Renegade packet actually manages to be an even more fun way to play. We might switch for that to the next year. So who knows? Yeah. So uh, hopefully, Thomas, that address that addresses your questions. And it's funny, your letter is kind of addressing the issues that came up for yeah. this episode. So it's kind of a nice, uh, nice piece to end on. And we'll move into our next segment. So again, if we haven't gotten to your letter, apologize, but it is in the hopper. We will get to it. Uh, in our next episode. And if you want to uh, write a letter to us and get it in the list to be read on an episode, uh, there's three ways you can do that. First is uh, to email us. Our email addresses are our first names at preferredenemies.com. So Rob at Kevin at Dennis at Richard at preferredenemies.com. Second is Facebook. We are at facebook.com slash preferredenemies. We have a page there. You can like it, follow it. Uh, we post what we're going, what's going on, new episodes, news and interesting releases. Third is our Twitter, which is preferred enemy singular. And uh, you can message us in all of those places, uh, email us, send us messages. Sometimes we'll even pull things from like uh, Facebook com- comments, you know, comments yeah. if it seems <laughs> a- apropos. Uh, so 
Uh, and we just put those in, put them in the hopper, and we'll try to get through them without taking too long. I think this one went a little bit longer, but we had – I think that that first comment, I definitely wanted yep. to spend some time in addressing that one. And we're all here in person. And we're all here in person, and, and we just get talking because that's what we do around the gaming table. Uh, also, if you want to help support the show, we have a Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash preferred enemies. And, uh, that is basically to, if you want to help support, uh, the show and help us, like, get equipment, like, I know we're probably going to have to get a couple more microphones soon because I know, Richard, we need to get you updated with a Yeti as we're going to yeah. be switching to a remote recording format. Uh, so, it's, uh, you want to help support the show? It pays for our hosting, pays for us to travel to events and support some of the stuff we do with like Midwest Conquest as well. Yep. Uh, we don't lock any of our shows behind a paywall. This is just like a basically an online tip jar. If you like what we do, uh, go ahead and throw in for that. Even if it's just a dollar a month, enough people put in a dollar, it adds up. And we do have new patrons that we haven't mentioned since the last time we had a Patreon update. And that is uh, Roy Hood and Alejandro. I'm assuming it's Pena. It might not be. It didn't have a, the tilde yeah. over the end so it's either pena or pena i'm guessing probably pena but mispronouncing names is a thing i do so sure but uh thank you for joining our patreon family uh so we are going to go ahead and take a quick break and when we get back we are going to talk about the elephant in the room which is the big iron hands space marine read readjustment for 2020 see you in a bit miniatures we build them we paint them we love them that's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely. And that's where Kara Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors, that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the Autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the battle mats from GameMat. They're professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a GameMat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding G-board portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're back. That means it's time for our main topic, which, again, this is kind of a continuation of the first part of the show where we talked about the ITC missions. Now we're talking about the other big change that happened, and that was the February 2020 Space Marines update. We were wondering how long it was going to be after LVO, 
and after all the other tournament results that had been coming in at, at smaller regional levels to determine like when is GW going to realize that they overcorrected with iron like the the marines with the various supplements and there was honest discussion online of like should we like should tournament organizers ban supplement like that kind of our conversation from last time you know should we ban particular models i there were honest discussions about should we just not allow the space marine supplements and make just people play generic marines and so gw has stepped in and uh, they released a number of FAQs, and they also released a designer's commentary on the entire thing that kind of encapsulates all the changes. So we're going to read through that and provide commentary and discussion. And I will say, I've already started seeing feedback on how these new rules have ad- have changed things. And uh, Iron Hands are apparently way toned down now. Like, uh, Leviathan Dread is now just a 300.14 wound knight. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I saw mean, one comment on it. It's still, it's like still good, but it's not yeah. the beast that it was before it's not uber survivable right great so this is this was the opening paragraph to the designer's commentary with the release of codex space marines and its various codex supplements and psychic awakening updates several months ago we have been paying close attention to how space marine armies have been played with by the community and how well they are faring at tournaments around the globe we have gathered enough data of the by this point and received enough of your feedback to convince us that the angels of death are now one of if not the best performing armies in warhammer 40,000 while we are glad that the emperor's chosen warriors are faring better than they were before their latest codex it would appear that as players get more experience with this army tailoring their list to take advantage of certain rules and unveiling all the various tricks and tactics hidden within these books they are now starting to overperform as a result we feel it is necessary to make some changes to the space marines rules to ensure that they remain a fun army to play against as well as with this is not something we do lightly but we feel it is necessary in order to help maintain the balance of the wider warhammer 40,000 gaming experience robin credis and the warhammer 40k rules team so let's also give them points for actually putting a name on who's writing that so i've also want to say that i've not been able to do this in years but <laughs> and then there was actually an extra par- an extra paragraph or two by Jason Lippert from Adepticon yeah. saying, "Hey, these are going to be in play for Adepticon. We we've we're familiar with these. We are we're happy to see them doing this and and readjusting the game to make it more fun again." Yeah. Because yes, everyone was acknowledging Space Marines, specifically Iron Hands, were not fun to play with yeah. or and honestly, they weren't fun to play with cuz it was just a point and shoot army at, yeah. after a point. So let's get into the actual changes. And this is probably the biggest single change, and it's the change to combat doctrines. Yep. Yeah. Combat doctrines is an ability that we always intended to be purposefully rigid and that you have to progress through a combat doctrine sequence in a specific order, starting in the Devastator Doctrine and finally ending up in the Assault Doctrine. We maintained a degree of flexibility by letting players choose when they would progress to the next doctrine, imagining that every Space Marine player would wish to progress through the sequence as quick as they could. After all, an average combined arms army has more melee weapons in it than it has rapid-fire weapons. Every model technically has a melee weapon, and fewer still have heavy weapons. The idea was that as the game progressed and the enemy got closer, you'd get more of a bonus by switching combat doctrines. As a quick pause. Let's pause right there. (laughs) I do want to pause there. That statement isn't illuminating because it really proves that GW doesn't understand the tournament scene. (laughs) Like, ah, 
that was painful to read well, when any, I first read that. Anybody, like, oh. anybody looking at the Iron Hands supplement could have told you that that was not going to happen. Yeah, it's like, oh. I mean, I remember looking at it, it's like, why would you ever leave Devastator, I, Doctor? I think we've had the conversation before that GW plays the game vastly different than yeah. like, tournament players. And this is the prime example of that. Yes. Well, why wouldn't you cycle out to Assault Doctrine? Well, because if you build a list that's just all heavy weapons and never move and never cycle, you're way better. By the way, did yeah. you know that you put troops in the game that can take really good heavy in weapon a, bolt rifles? In a space game with guns, guns are always going to be better than hit them with a sharp object. Like, <laughs> it's like you put in the option for stalker pattern bolt rifles, which are better than <laughs> when, when yeah. you, when you become iron hands and can move without penalty and reroll ones. And now you're, and they're AP minus three. And like, why would you ever worry about switching to tactical? And guns and guns work just as good at short range as they do at long range. Like, once they get closer, you switch to melee. No, you just shoot them more. Yeah, nobody. <laughs> I mean, as yeah. we said, this is a space gun or space game with guns. Melee is kind of secondary. Mm-hmm. So, the the next line, the first line of the next paragraph. <laughs> However, that has not come to pass. No <laughs> shit. Yeah. <laughs> And in the months since its release, many players attending competitive matched play events have built lists that are designed to excel in one particular combat doctrine, typically the Devastator doctrine, to the exclusion of all else, and without any intention of ever progressing through the doctrine sequence. We are shocked, I tell you. Shocked! Sorry. I mean, even a competitive player would just, I mean, you, you specialize, you pick your the yeah. best one and you stay with it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the flexibility of being able to choose when to progress... Or not has ironically led to very inflexible armies, albeit very powerful ones that dominate the battlefields with an excess of heavy weaponry throughout the game. We have received plenty of feedback from players on the receiving end of such lists. <laughs> I love the way that's <laughs> from because taking it in the advance was not what they wanted to put. In. And after much thought, <laughs> agree with that such armies are currently too powerful. Such armies also do not encourage players to collect the typical combined arms force Space Marines are famed for. <laughs> also, we're not selling the right model. Right, yeah. <laughs> I love that they threw that in there, too. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, why are you only taking heavy weapons? Because that's all I ever good. need. <laughs> yeah. As a result, we are changing how the combat doctrine's ability works so that your army must progress through all these combat doctrines over the course of the battle. You will start the battle on the Devastator doctrine, but you will not be able to stay on that doctrine for the duration of the battle, and at the start of the second battle round, you must change to tactical. We have maintained some modicum of flexibility in that you may ch- you can choose to progress to the Assault doctrine at the start of either the third or for fourth battle rounds, but what you can't do is stay on tactical for the remainder of the battle. The effects of the combat doctrine themselves remain the same, and all the combat doctrine bonuses found in the various codex supplements remain unchanged. So, Iron Hands are still too good in Devastator Doctrine, but only, only for, for one turn. turn. And, and so- it, it means that if you're playing an assault army like Space Wolves or Blood Angels or something like that, you're getting to your, you're still able to get to your assault doctrines faster. Like, yeah. 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 It's like if, you, yeah, if you're playing Blood Angels, yeah, you, you, White Scars. And I think this gives those armies a bit of a buff because mm. they're going, like, there's no reason for them to not get to that yeah. point. Yeah. And they're, they are not penalized. Yeah. But now who is penalized? are Imperial Fists and Dark Angels. Anybody who is leaning on Devastator Doctrine but now cannot stay in it, yeah. but were not as powerful as... Like, Iron Hands. Yeah, Dark Angels get extra six inches of range for one turn. Yeah. Which, Imperial Still Fists useful. get better damage against vi- buildings and vehicles 
for one turn. That's that one. Imperial Fist, I think, take it a bit hard. Yeah. From that. I mean, it was kind of a bad one anyway. But <laughs> And then uh, continuing adaptive strategy. Given the change to the combat doctrine's ability, we are also deleting the adaptive strategy stratagem. The stratagem allowed you to push back or push the combat doctrines back by a turn. Though rarely used presently, if a player was forced to move through the combat doctrine progression, it would essentially undo what we are trying to achieve with the with the changes to the combat doctrine's ability. And, and I saw some people, in fact, in commentary on our own post when we shared this change, someone was like, I don't know why they got rid of adaptive strategy. It's like, you'd have to build your army to use a lot of, uh, <laughs> CP. And we had people saying, Oh no, I can easily build an army that could just abuse the hell out of this and yeah. would never drop out of Devastator. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, the deleting that f- also like prevents you from working around the solution. So no, I it it's interesting because I believe this is the first time they've ever just straight up deleted. A right, strategy. like even Cabal, like even like uh, like the Cabal of the Dark Heart, like stratagem for yeah. like uh, agents of Vect. Yeah, like they they changed the CP, like made it three CP, but they didn't remove it from the yeah. game and. Yeah, this, I think you're right. I think this is the first time they've removed a stratagem from the game. But if you want the combat doctrines to change, you, you, you have, have to, you know, yeah, you have to get there. rid of that. And basically it gets combat doctrines the way they were in sixth and seventh edition where I guess the, the only thing use I was, them in, like you had to use them in order. Yeah. Or I think, or it was in sixth and seventh, it was like you could use them once, one once turn. You had one turn that they were active. And then like, yeah. like Ultramarines could use tactical twice. And, well, so that was the thing that I kind of thought that like, I figured, they would put a keep adaptive strategy, but only make it like one one use per game, mm-hmm. because like one turn to turn it back potentially. But even such, that still would have been super powerful for certain builds. Yeah, no, it would have been very, yeah, very, very, very abusable. Yeah. Uh, Duty Eternal. This one gets into uh, dreadnoughts because this is again this this. The, the bro hammer team, bro hammer list. I'm referring specifically to lists like, uh, was it Richard Seeger played at, uh, Chap Dread, Leviathan Dread. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's yeah. called the bro hammer list because the bro hammer team, like yeah. several yeah. of the players brought basically that list to LVO. Uh, this stratagem can be used to boost the durability of dreadnoughts to extreme levels because this stratagem basically halved the damage that dreadnoughts yeah. took. Uh, can be used to boost the durability of dreadnoughts to extreme levels, in some cases doubling the amount of damage these ancient warriors can endure. In conjunction with a nearby character, such as a tech marine who can easily repair any damage incurred, it can create a disheartening experience for your opponent to face, especially if the, devi- if the dreadnought in question is something as tough to damage in the first place as a relic leviathan dreadnought. I love that specific call-out. <laughs> Not saying that people would or should do this, but this is what people were doing. Yeah. We have listened to this feedback and agree that in its current form, the stratagem is too powerful. As a result, we have decided to slightly tone down the damage reduction effects of Duty Eternal. We have also taken the opportunity to make sure this stratagem will no longer combine with other damage reduction rules, such as that afforded by the Iron Hands Relic, the Iron Stone. Note that where the stratagem appears in publications other than Codex Space Marines, the Adeptus Astartes keyword changes depending on the faction... The stratagem relates to, so basically saying in different. It's the same. It's a stratagem that's in all the the Codex Marine variants. It's just it'll change which one this is. 
Uh, see the FAQ documents for those publications for the exact errata text. So the changes. Use this stratagem when Adeptus Astartes Dreadnought model from your army is chosen as the target for an attack. Until the end of the phase and resolving an attack made against that model, you can reduce any damage suffered by one to a minimum of one. This is not cumulative with any other rules that reduce damage. Much better. <laughs> Because there's plenty of like reduce, you know, reduce damage by one for other things. It's still useful for dreadnoughts because dreadnoughts are still tough. But well, and the thing is, like a lot of the things that only did one damage anyway had trouble damaging yeah. a uh, like something like a relic leviathan anyway. Well, and the weapons that were made to kill things like that were having the yeah. damage made a huge impact. Well, yeah, like hitting hitting a, a relic leviathan dread with a last cannon. Which I think you had to roll like you had to roll pretty high to damage it anyway because of its toughness and it has and an then, invulnerable save and it has an invulnerable save and then it gets through and you roll the six and you're like woo I did six point oh it all it's half it's only three three and then I'm then my tech marine my my, and my tech marine oh and, over I, and, and it's and Iron Father it so he just he just repairs three damage yeah. off of it immediately cool cool yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so I, I get it I, this is this is much better so now it's but like I rolled six useful, damage okay so. you take five. Fair. Okay. Fair. Right. Fair. Cogitated martyrdom. This is one we talked about <laughs> that made intercessors into basically shield drones. This Iron Hand stratagem has been used by some players in order to transfer wounds taken by Dreadnought character models. This was an oversight on our part. The stratagem <laughs> is not intended for use on such durable models who, amongst other benefits, already enjoy the protection of being a character with fewer than nine wounds. Being able to do so creates situations where certain character Dreadnoughts are virtually invulnerable to enemy fire. Furthermore, several questions regarding the time, the exact timing of the stratagem have also been raised. The errata should also resolve this commonly asked question. So the changes now use the stratagem at the start of the shooting phase select one iron hands infantry unit from your army and tell the end of the phase when an iron hands character model excluding vehicle models within three inches of that unit would lose any wounds as a result of an attack made against that model that unit can attempt to intercept the attack roll a d6 before any wound any rolls to ignore wounds e.g the flesh is weak adamantine metal etc are made on a 2+, that model does not lose the wounds, and that unit suffers one mortal wound for each of those wounds. Only one attempt can be made to intercept each attack. So basically, what was happening was you would have a unit of intercessors. This is one of the reasons why Reaper was changed in the ITC missions. Mm-hmm. I have 10 intercessors in front of my Leviathan, or just near my Leviathan yeah. Dread, within 3 inches. You shoot at my Leviathan Dread. Okay, so you rolled a hit, you rolled a wound. I rolled to save. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I save. Okay. One of them gets through. Okay. I take six damage while I play Duty Eternal. I take three damage. I roll my Feel No Pains for Flesh is Weak. Oh, look. I'm only going to take two damage. Yeah. Now I'll play Cogitated Martyrdom. Two wounds go onto the, uh, onto on the, the Intercessor. On the so intercessor. I lose on Intercessor instead of taking. Oh, and the Intercessors then get their, then feel, get no their pain, feel No Pain. Which they still can get their sure, Feel No Pain. But, but yeah. It was a long sequence of events to prevent any. So basically, you had to completely overkill to even do slightly damage. Slight damage. Imagine if you combined knob bikers with shield drones from back in the day. <laughs> kind of, yeah, no, that's actually yeah. that's yeah. that's pretty much. That's yeah, yeah. That's what that would be like. It was not good. Yeah, it it that was and that was one that like that I had missed that stratagem when I first kind of breezed through the Iron Hands book, but that well, because it really only worked because. 
there's another stratagem that only Iron Hands also get that allows you to make a Dreadnought a character. Right. And I think that, and that's what they meant, like, by the oversight, that, like, this plus this stratagem plus this made it super powerful. Well, and if I remember right, like, the early Iron Hands builds were mostly leaning on, like, uh, repulsors and... Yep. uh the, the, and storm ravens yeah. and things like that, like leaning on the non dreadnought vehicles, and then that dreadnought, and then as that kind of got counter, and people they, found they, they gave for- the litanies to the chaplain dread, which which made it, which was always a character. So now yeah. it's eligible for this, and then that people figured out that wait a minute, I can use the stratagem to make my leviathan dread a, care. a character and benefit from this. I mean, imagine basically an imperial knight with shield drones. Yeah, that all can also have its have its wounds and have feel no pain. That's not good. No. <laughs> yeah, it it it's just like this was the common, and it's as they said in the intro. It's like as people have been playing around and see, realizing the tips and tricks. I think they they honestly found interactions that the GW yeah. team did not predict, and also that their playtesters did not catch. This is stuff that absolutely should have been caught by a, if if you had. I don't know who to blame on the playtesting team, but, but this, this is on the playtesting. This is absolutely sure. yeah. on the playtesting team because <laughs> if they either did not catch this, and granted, again, this this strategy did not appear out of the gate, but it didn't take long yeah. before it started popping up. All right, now we're getting out of, and for the last one, we're going to get away from Iron Hands, who have have taken. So we're not just dumping on. Iron we're just hands. not dumping on Iron Hands. <laughs> now we're, we're going to dump on Raven Guard. <laughs> A tactic that has come to light in recent events is using the Raven Guard Warlord trait Master of Ambush to position a unit of Assault Centurions extremely close to the enemy front lines, almost guaranteeing a first-turn charge. Assault Centurions, warriors in mobile warsuits closer to the stature of a Dreadnought than an infantryman, have been designed and costed with their low speed in mind, but this Warlord trait essentially overcomes the Centurions' built-in weakness. We feel this combination is too easy to utilize for its devastating effectiveness. As such... We are preventing Centurions from being able to be so stealthy. <laughs> so at the start of the first battle round, before the first turn begins, if this Warlord is on the battlefield, you can select one other Raven Guard infantry unit, excluding a Centurion, on the battlefield, and then they can deep strike within, like, night. Yeah. Yeah. Or not deep strike. I think they can get a free movement. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah. So that's the last. And then they basically have errata for... All the various, so like Codex Space Marines, Raven Guard, Ritual of the Damned, Blood of Ball, Iron Hands. Basically any place that combat doctrines were listed or any place that, that had the, had any specific Like anything that had like the Duty Eternal Stratagem or the Adaptive Strategy Stratagem. They had those all, those have all been updated. And so, once again, Space Wolves miss out on all of the fun. <laughs> well, I have a feeling that we're going to get a day yeah. one errata for... Saga of the Beast, because I'm sure they will have sure Duty Eternal. They will yeah. probably have some equivalent to Combat Doctrines yeah. that will have to be adjusted because that was written before these changes were put into place. Now, we don't have... There have been no other... I don't think there's been any rules, releases, or previews from uh, Saga of the Beast yet. They've, They've started fluff- doing some fluff ones, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And storytelling, but yeah. And it is definitely Space Wolves versus Orcs. Uh, I believe the. I think on Monday is when they're like so, tomorrow. So, so the by day the time recording this, so yeah, so we'll start seeing uh, rules pieces. By the time you hear this, we'll have had like a week of rules previews, and then I imagine the weekend this comes out will probably be the weekend it's up for pre order. It also sounds like, in pure speculation, but it sounds like Space Wolves are going to get uh, 
gosh, what was Ragnar? Uh, was it? Yeah, is it Ragnar, Ragnar Blackman? Ragnar Blackman. That he we get, get an upgraded Primaris model for him, and oh my god, it is one of the worst models in the line. <laughs> it, it it is not. <laughs> like, it's not the a Primaris good one. one or the original? The original. Oh yeah, the original the, the, the was horrible. The current one, like, oh my god, I'm so glad they're. And, and if there's a character that needs an update, Ragnar is a good choice to yes. go Primaris. Yeah. So. So yeah. Um, so thoughts? No. <laughs> so so no. I like yeah. uh, the response to this has been overwhelmingly positive. Yes. I think even among Iron Hands players, because they also realized that they were like, and kind of talking to the letter that like Thomas's letter from earlier about like the vitriol that's being aimed at them. Yeah. It's like. It wasn't their fault for having a strong like army. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, Iron Hands became the best parts of Space Marines, the best parts of Death Guard, and the best parts of Tau. Yeah, that's too much for any one army. <laughs> like, yeah. So and like and if you're if you're a long time Iron Hands player, you you didn't want to play you didn't want to play the way that this army had to be played to be like necessarily super, yeah super good yeah it's like I I want you know. Yeah, yeah, like it's like when I was when when we switched to the gunline Tau in in seventh edition, I stopped playing my Tau shortly there because it's not how you like, wanted to play. I it. Don't enjoy playing this way. I, I did the same thing with Eldar. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was played Eldar, and then when suddenly Eldar became top tier, and I didn't get all the Dark yeah. Reapers. I didn't get all the things that just made Eldar so wonderful. I, I, I think this is positive for players playing against Iron Hands. I think it's going to be positive for Iron Hands players as well because they'll go back to having potentially, hopefully, more varied lists. Dreadnoughts are still very good for them. You can still take Dreadnoughts as characters. You can still get all of those extra protections that other other chapters can't do. But now you'll see more repulsors and more varied, you know, assault centurions for for them potentially. Like you'll see more variety in these lists than just the same five or six things in every list than you that you were seeing for several months Mm -hmm. well and also the the so like kind of like look at some of the impacts of how these changes will affect certain armies obviously the the change to being able to stay in devastator no longer to be no longer being able to stay in devastator doctrine obviously it addresses the main issue with iron hands without having to take away what they had given iron hands necessarily it as i said it does impact imperial fists and dark angels and dark angels much more so i think whereas dark angel players there was no incentive to move away from like the osriel brick or something although like if i remember right like so one version of hellblasters is rapid fire and one version is heavy, heavy. yeah so now maybe taking the rapid fire version and moving that brick up becomes a better yeah. choice. I think it also makes the bikes like the like your black your black to- or your black knights and your black or the raven wing bikes yeah, a better choice. It's it's going to give more variety to dark angel players because they're not going to just stick with green wing and and personally, personal opinion, green wing is probably the most boring way to play dark angels anyway. Yeah. So, like, because if you're playing Dark Angels, you should probably, I want to play Deathwing or Ravenwing because those are cool, unique factions. So hopefully it'll, it'll let people play with more of those other, you know, other styles of list for them and not, not just run Hell, a brick of Hellblasters. Um, Imperial Fists, I think are going to, Imperial Fists will kind of fall into a similar realm as like Ultramarines, I think. Ultramarines and Salamanders and such are going to be in an interesting space because they can only stay in their preferred doctrine for up to two turns. Mm-hmm. And 
it's interesting because then late game that bonus goes away. Yeah. And I'm curious to see how that's going to affect things because like I remember playing against like at Iron Halo playing against an ultramarine player who first turn he's in Devastator mm-hmm. and he's got like a repulsor and you know a couple of things and then second turn switches into tactical and it's stays either, there the yeah. whole game because well, again why would you ever not and it makes me wonder how that is going to change up those armies because suddenly turns four and five, they're going to lose some of their oomph. So it's interesting because there's no, at this point, there's really no assault primaris dedicated units. Right. There's units that are good, like aggressors, the power fist and stuff like that. But aggressors are going to be good regardless. It's interesting that they're kind of forcing some of these armies that don't necessarily want to be an assault doctrine to be there, which means that like assault marines or terminators or other things might come back more into play. I don't know that will. And also, if you think about game lengths, we we say turns four, five, six. Most games go three, four games, three, four rounds. Sure, but like it's it's interesting to me that they're kind of pushing this. You're going to be an assault in late game without putting more assault units out there like i don't know and i don't know if i necessarily want them to but it just it's weird it's weird in that regard i I, I do think an assault primaris has to be in the works or coming or something because i mean that's the one thing they lack and there have been rumors for a little while like primaris bikes primaris land Mm -hmm. speeder primaris yeah and and yeah a dedicated assault primaris unit would be nice to have i mean the closest thing we have at this point is death company intercessors yeah and yeah. that's not a great choice. No. And it also does, like, you mentioned aggressors, and, like, one of the tactics that, like, ultramarines were using a lot is aggressors who, they they have the ability that they fire twice if they don't move, and tac- mer- ultramarines in tactical say count they, they count as stationary even if they move if they're in tactical doctrine, yeah. which means uh, aggressors could suddenly put out withering amounts of firepower, and now they can for two turns, and then yeah. it goes away. And so it's it's going to be interesting to see how this changes up both how these armies are designed and how they end up playing too. Yeah. And like I said, I don't think I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I just it's going to be it's going to encourage the more combined arms approach to arms building list building. Hopefully, um, I say that who knows people will just find other things to double down on probably. But uh, in theory, this is going to encourage more varied list design, and that's mm-hmm. that's a good thing. I've seen people complaining that suppressors and eliminators, like suppressors are no longer as good because suppressors have heavy weapons, but they deep strike. So they almost often mm-hmm. the technique was have them drop in turn because they can't drop in turn one. So they drop yeah. in turn two. They have now missed their, their improved yeah. AP, which is a fair complaint. It changes the, the metric of whether a unit is good or not. Yeah. Yeah. Although technically suppressors were released with the Shadow Spear box, which predated the, yes. the uh, doctrine. And so that's one of the things like, are these units being designed with future rules in mind or not? And as we've seen from GW, I think there's several different design tracks that are kind of on. Yeah. So the answer is yes and no. Yes and uh, yeah. no. <laughs> the answer is sort of. <laughs> um, yeah. W- figuring out like, how are like are Marines going to try to figure it? Like, are we going to see like a mixed arm kind of alpha strike, beta strike, assault force, or like Blood Angels are probably going to go more of a survive the first two, like yeah, you know, move forward the first two turns, possible. take advantage of the of the doctrines when they can. Like, 
you'll probably see like a heavy weapon or two, you know, like a heavy weapon platform or two, and then you'll have intercessors moving up with tactical, and then like they're re- like blood angels are really in a good place to take advantage of getting into assault turn three because their super doctrine makes them very effective. Yeah, in assault. But, uh, like, I'm curious, like, White Scars, if they're, I mean, like, White Scars don't quite have that same kind of hitting power in close combat. Will they change? Like, will we see Biker White Scar armies return? I think the good thing about this is with limiting the amount of time you can spend in each doctrine, potentially what you're going to see is, uh, hopefully, well, I said hopefully, you're going to see these chapters, Space Marine chapters, return back to kind of what their fluff was, and like play more like they're supposed to play. So yeah, white scars, bikers, and and some of these other things were like, no, they're gonna play more in that style, and you're gonna get more variety by playing different like chapters now. Which is like I said, I I think it's gonna be good. It is gonna blunt their effectiveness a little bit. Um, but I still think that between the super doctrines and the combat doctrines and they all still those got stuff, a stupid they're still amount of good. They have so many options in that book. They're still going to be good. Um, they're just not going to be over. They're not going to be auto win. Good, yeah. Which they shouldn't have been. So, so I guess I'm, I'm going to leave this to another conversation because we still have more time to use up. So, <laughs> cause I, cause I, we, obviously we've covered all the major points, but I think this also leads into the discussion of how much, like how much responsibility and emphasis is G should GW be putting and, and restriction on putting to make sure armies play the way that they foresee and they entail because one of the issues with this was they p- created a codex with the concept in mind that of course people will move from one to you know from devastator to tactical to assault because that's just how we expect things that's how we think things should go but by not putting in restrictions on f- that forced you into that kind of funneled you into that path people said, well, I'm just going to stay in Devastator. Well, why? We didn't say it couldn't. Like, how much of that permissive gameplay is, like, which is better, having more permissive gameplay or having the tighter restrictions to sculpt an army to play the way you, you as a designer, you feel should be played? Yeah, that's it's very interesting um, balance. Because, like, I think that if you look, like, prior to sixth edition when space marines really didn't have like the fourth and fifth edition space marine codex really didn't have chapter tactics you varied your army the only thing that varied in your army was what special characters you took and what color you painted it otherwise the space marine army played exactly the same right and if you wanted to play something different go play blood angels or dark angels etc um it wasn't until they added in the chapter tactics that you really started to get those flavors for those sub factions and i think that I think that was a good choice, and I think that was a good thing to open up more options. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know. Like GW is the company that designs this; they can come up with whatever design philosophy they want. I think it's good to have more permissive play options, but I do think that they also have a little bit of responsibility to balance those so that they stay on theme or they stay on f- flavor, basically. Um, and I'd like to see like. Imperial Fist get better stuff, but they're keeping them more on flavor. So, like, oh, they're really good against buildings. And okay, Iron buildings, Warriors, yeah. <laughs> buildings suck in, these, in this edition, so it doesn't matter. I'd like to see them a little bit more of that, but I, I appreciate that they're keeping them on theme, I guess. I don't... Yeah, it's a balance. 
I mean, yeah, it's, it's a like, long way of saying I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what you kind of just said there was, yeah, there, there's two styles of 40K, the, the competitive balanced yeah. version, which we're trying to get to, but we know it's an impossible task, and the fluffy, hey, this is cool version, and it's walking, they're, they're still trying to walk the line between the two somehow. Well, and again, I think this is where multiple formats comes in, multiple ways to play the game. Even if they can support all of those, then everybody should be happy to some degree. Um, but I do think they have a responsibility to try to make sure that all of the, you know, the six faction, six factions, um, that come in that Space Marine Codex are all viable, but all play differently enough to be, you know, that's, that's play. a hard yeah. task to do when you have one unit pool. And yeah, six, seven different ways yeah. to play that you want, you want to feel very different. See, now I will disagree yeah. on that statement. I think if they want them to play m- more different, they should break them out into a codex like Dark Angels or Blood Angels. Probably not wrong. Yeah. So if they're, if they're staying in the same Space Marine codex, there are just tweaks to the original so yeah. that you, they play slightly different, but not totally different. Well, and you're seeing that with Chaos, the yeah. Chaos Legions as well, where it's like the ones that played so drastically different got broken out. And I don't, I know in previous editions, I've always said that I don't think they should be splitting that stuff <laughs> out, but like the way the design, yeah. well, you got what you wanted and now it's like, mm, well, it's like maybe the not. The, the way the design <laughs> philosophy is kind of broken out with eighth edition and keywords and stuff like that, it's like it, it, you could split things out into sub factions. And and it would probably be a little bit easier to balance and a little bit easier to make them play the way they want them to play. So I don't know. I've make I've the changed space on it, but codex I think, a little smaller. <laughs> yeah, like that's also a factor in it. Like again, and this is where like the legend stuffs come in, where it's like I'm not comfortable as a TO saying pull units out of that codex, but at some point GW is going to have to look at it and go probably shouldn't have this many duplicate entries. And so, you know, and some of those might get moved to Legends. That may be their, their way of supporting a different play style, but keeping, you know, slimming it down and streamlining it so that we don't have all these different options. Maybe they do a fluff shakeup and, hey, you know, all the salamanders fall into the warp and now that chapter tactic doesn't exist. Like, I... Poor salamanders players. Well, Why you got picked on them? No, I, that was an example. But, like, maybe maybe the Iron Hands all... Maybe something happens and the Iron Hands all go poof and, and disappear into the warp. Like... GW has and the power. Nothing of value was lost. GW has the power to control the story and control the narrative of the game. They can convolute any way they want to remove or add factions. So it, it's it is ultimately up to them on how to do that. I, whether I want them to do that, oh no, I, I don't think I want them to just go and completely squat a faction. But they have the ability to do that if they decide that no, Space Marines are too complicated. As is, so we're going to simplify it by wiping out half of them, and now it's just these three legions, or going the opposite way and saying, the Emperor's dead, there's now a schism, all of these guys are free agents, and they now fight completely different, and now we have six different, you know, six additional codexes. I still see that happen. I see I see the Emperor, and I then see I see that happening and, more likely. And I see also old Space Marines versus primary Space Marines kind of had that schism there, as in yeah. addition to the religion versus the non-religion. So there you go. Instead of six new codexes, that's 12 new codexes. Yeah, see? Oh, so we'll, we'll have... <laughs> well, and that Can we way, just say I we love... didn't want that? I don't know that I completely love that. But um, <laughs> yeah, like, I I see that there's there's going to have to be some changes because there's... There's way too much in the current Space Marine Codex from a unit and a and a design standpoint. It's just too much. Six different armies, seven really, because if you have you kind of have your own pick your own legions. 
seven different ways to play this army. Well, technically to, eight. Don't forget Black Templars are in there too. Okay, eight. Yeah, eight different ways. You know, eight different ways to build. Oh, your and don't army forget. Here. Sorry, I'm trying. <laughs> eight well, you, ways to you, build you can your put army. an Inquisitor in the army, right? Yes. And then nine different nine different ways. Eight different ways to build your army from a theme perspective. <laughs> no one expects the old, Imperial Inquisition. <laughs> you know, old tactical Marines versus Primaris Marines, which are two completely different build sets. Oh yeah, Vehicles and nobody mixes and, them. Yeah, and it's like actually you're starting to see hit devastators coming back. Sure. Oh my drop, gosh. Drop yes. pod devastators with grav cannons were very present at yeah. LVO. Oh nice. Yeah. yeah, that's actually become a thing. Yeah. So, so maybe long things will be back because you'd stay in devastator doctrine for multiple turns and then get the extra. You drop and, or you just drop them in first turn yeah. and because of drop pod. Because drop pod and oh look, there's the you've got this thing like this vehicle or this other marine squad that just gets boom shot. That just the grav grav cannon with grav amp just tears up. Yeah. Long fangs don't have grav amps though. No. no. I'm sad. But also I, I think we have to look at the fact that GW here admits a failure of game design. Yeah. They absolutely yeah. it's like we built this and we intended it for this, and that's not how anyone actually played it. We done messed up. <laughs> and so it's like should they have had should they be changing how they're looking at game design and it's like Trying to see, so what happened? Okay, so we designed it to play this way, but they never took the step of, but what happens if somebody doesn't? Well, this isn't the first time they've done no, that either. No, it's not. This is, this is a standard practice for, for them is they're, they're kind of, they have their way of playing. And it might just also be that they're looking locally at like the UK. I don't know, but I think they have expanded out to seeing how things play in the US by going to Adepticon, LVO, Nova. And that's kind of enlightened them on, oh, people play the game differently than we originally designed. You know, well, there's, there's oh, sorry. Oh, so the, the the one thing that they've always said in the past about designing codexes, and granted, they've moved away from this, but like when the names were still in the codex, they're like, oh yeah, well, we're releasing a new codex when somebody has a really cool idea to update an army, and that's why Sisters never got anything for a decade because they couldn't um, figure out how they to, couldn't figure out how to do it. They have moved away from that, like officially, as their policy of trying to update everything, but that is still probably present. Kind of the, in the underlying team, yeah. that, that like cool idea for space marines let's get it on the page i have a cool idea for this unit let's get it on the page and maybe it, i i'm wondering at what level balance comes in into that equation and if they come in like i've got this cool idea let's get the models out oh, oh I, wait how does that actually fit into the army see and i think I, i've uh-huh. heard something similar but i'd heard it the other way around where they get a cool idea for model make the model and yeah. then try and make rules for it yeah so it's like and then that's what I'm saying. Like you get this cool idea, and you do this. Like, at what point is the instinct to like, oh, let's make sure this balances and fits with all of the other units? And and again, because it's a big, complicated process. And they um, do care about. Like, they're not just uh, yeah, firing. Like, no, yeah, they, they do. To care. be fair, yeah, yeah I'm not. I'm, I don't want to imply that, but yeah, it's just it's it's hard. Like at some point, I don't know if the design philosophy is to figure out the balance. What does this army need to be balanced, and then figure out or more likely. Here's a cool thing. How does it fit in? I think there's different ways of looking. I, at I it. think that's how they look at it, and then they worry about balance after it's hit. And yeah. and I really do think this is a failure, also uh, as I mentioned earlier, of the playtesting team, because there's there's an old. This is an old old meme back from the days of like <laughs> Usenet and everything was in raw text. But there was an old list of like my Big rules grandpa. for being an evil overlord. <laughs> Yeah, and it was like this bullet-pointed list of like all these you know things like that commonly fail during like evil overlord plans. Like heroes always end up exploiting. And one of the points was one of the last points 
all of my plans will be run past a five-year-old, and if they can immediately spot a problem, I will fire my advisors and start a new plan. And I, it feels like, like specifically with the Iron Hands, it feels like you should have shown this to like the like pick the top ten. Take look, take a look at the ITC list. Pick the top ten competitive players. Show them this book. Tell them to tell them if they can see that anything's broken. If they come back to you and say, "Oh, I can totally abuse this," then scrap it and start over. And right. and and I think that's it. Shows a, again. I I ha- and I have to wonder: is this a failure of the playtesters to predict this, or is it a failure of the design team to tell the playtesters, "Hey, this is how we want the army to play. Make sure it plays this way." Yeah, because. You can set expectations in a, in somebody's mind of don't go out like this is the box I want you to test these confines in you know te- test it don't go outside this box when what the playtester should be doing is I'm gonna fucking break yeah. that box well, <laughs> so for example what they're probably doing uh, intentionally or unintentionally hey here's the Iron Hands as a dear playtester here's an Iron Hands codex here's the Iron Hands force this is the fluff for the Iron Hands this is their this is their tactics and strategy in the fluff. Go play this army with those strategies. Make sure it plays this. Make way. sure it plays with those strategies. Okay, but yeah, okay, well, yeah, it works really well if you play it with those strategies. But yeah, they're not asking the question of. And again, this is armchair quarterback, and we sure. don't know. They may but. not be asking the question of what do you do when you play a different strategy. How are you? You know, what happens when you try to make a Tau assault army or something? You know, and do something completely out of the box. Do you come out? You know, uh, yeah. And I, I think just bringing more people into that playtesting process will help. Um, and I hope that they are. I hope that they're talking to the connections they've been building over the last years to Cause, do this. Because I, I hope this has led them to a moment, because not just the fixing of this particular balance issue. This is a learning this is but, a learning But also, yeah, I'm hoping that they kind of do kind of circle the wagons a bit and say, okay, so how do we need to, like, how can we, because it's, it's one thing to fix the problem. It's another thing to say, how can we avoid this happening in the future? Because obviously this, this was a bad choice. Yes. And this had unintended consequences. Now, I'll give them a pass on some, like, some of the stratagem interactions. Like, hey, if you take this Forge World unit and you give it this, make it a character from this stratagem, and then you combine that with this stratagem here that lets you shift off wounds and combine it with this other stratagem that lets you reduce the damage, I can understand how that could slip through the cracks because that's a lot of moving pieces and they probably didn't ask to test it with Forge Forge World units because those aren't in the codex. So test this within the codex. A Redemptor Dread with the same rule is not nearly as scary as yeah. a Leviathan Dread. Yeah. The other thing that's interesting is they've already taken steps to solve that aspect of the problem by, by rolling the, the wind into one. And so, team. so again, they're addressing that issue. This was just, this was a culmination of a lot of, a lot of interactions. And I do believe, like the, I believe that, like the stratagem interactions, that one uh, I'll give as a un, unexpected consequences. Totally, sure. totally fine. Sure. Easy to, easy to miss that one, especially if you're not testing against Forge World rules. The assault terminate, or the assault centurions on Raven Guard, that one should have been a bit more clear, but I, I think at the time they weren't expecting people to jump onto the centurion train as strongly as they did. I mean, we didn't. We didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the combat doctrine, though, that's just sloppy. Yeah. That was just, that was absolutely sloppy. And that was entirely preventable. <laughs> that was entirely preventable. And unfortunately, it does leave a couple of sub factions kind of in, in the lurch because of it. 
Yeah. Because it does hurt Imperial it does hurt Imperial Fist, it does hurt Dark Angels, and it doesn't hurt it doesn't affect Blood Angels or White Scars in the least, because they wanted to get to assault on three anyway. Yeah. So yeah. hey mistakes I, I think mistakes were made. Yeah. They will they have admitted mistakes were made. I do think that I'm I'm glad that they addressed them. I wish they hadn't waited as long because we were seeing these issues popping up as recently as like September, October. They took their time to collect some data and they didn't rush out a yeah. fix. And if they and I think this gets into that issue of how tightly are they tied in with the tournament scene because if they had released a change right before LVO, it would have been very disruptive. Yes. So they have to like they can't screw that up. But, but they're they also are, releasing this now directly before Adepticon, so it's, but they're not also really doing time. it in with in concert with the Adepticon crew because the Adepticon crew is also aware they, they of wanted this fix. Yeah, too. it's like yeah. this, like this is bad for our event if you let this stay. So they, yeah. you know, it's like at some point you have to like get everybody on board, and I think having Jason Lippert's kind of seal of approval there is a way of getting the community to be like, mm-hmm. see, we're. We're on we're on board with this too. So, yeah, it was. Th- this has been a this this codex has been a messy travel. The and I will say it seems like this had from from the initial feedback of games played after the fix. It sounds like this has addressed the Iron Hands issue significantly. Iron Hands are still still decent. Yep, they're not overpowering. It'll we'll have to see what this changes. I've seen a marine player. I've seen a number of means of Iron Hands players switching to Tau, specifically Farsight Tau, because they can take a whole bunch of uh, like fusion commanders and they can still have shield drones and everything. Oh, there's all sorts of questions about the. I, I hope there's an FAQ coming out for uh, Greater Good uh-huh. soon because there's a lot of. I've seen a lot of questions about. Well, does this experimental weaponry? Does this mean I can take multiple relics on the same? No, you can't. Stop trying to cheese everything. But they, but again, <laughs> that's it gets a topic that, for another But it gets day. down but, to that permissive yeah. rule style. Yeah. Like if you don't clearly tell someone that they can't, especially in a competitive environment, yep. they will. So, and I think that's why, uh, circling back around to like the previous topic, I think that's why GW doesn't want to get into the tournament scene because I think they want to be permissive and then have someone else kind of be the bad guy that says, no, you can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> But that good, will good cop, that cop. will only but that will only <laughs> but carry that only you so, so far. far yeah. yeah, you at some point you have to own up to we screwed up the balance, yeah. and they have so yeah. so good on them. I'm I'm glad they fixed it. I'm glad this didn't linger. It, this I don't I don't necessarily subscribe to the theory that this was wor- the worst thing that's ever happened to 40k. Oh no, because. I remember fighting invisible units and Castle and Knights. Yeah, yada, no, this yada, yada. this is this but has this been was bad. <laughs> this was bad, but as Dennis they, pointed out, yeah. there was you know Leaf Blower. Th- this is just 2019's version of the Leaf Blower yeah. army. This but is they, you know, they corrected the it. They they jumped on it very quickly. They maybe not as quickly as we wanted. They jumped on it fairly quickly in the grand scheme of things, and they've taken steps to address it. And with the constant release of the Psychic Awakening stuff. They're committing to continuing I, to do that. I, I think we'll that I'm it, wondering so. if they were hoping that it would be kind of self-correcting. Like as we get more of these co- supplements out and we get more, uh, you know, we get more supplements out, we get more of these psychic awakenings and, and other things like that. It's like, we'll like, we'll address the issue and things will rebalance. And I think it was just becoming clear that because of the very structure of the doctrines rule, it wasn't going to. And yeah. and the restriction of oh you have to play your entire army as having combat doctrines 
wasn't that much of a restriction when everything you had was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that pretty much wraps up uh, that discussion. I think we've pretty much covered I'm, all the I'm land. sure we'll come back to it at some point because it'll be interesting to see in a couple of months after Adepticon. Yeah. Especially like how what it, this does to Space Marines. It will knock them out from being easily the number one army. But I, I still think they're top tier. I think yeah. they're still really good. Builds. It's going to be interesting. Like, well, and also doing the change now is also helpful because we're now at the start of a new ITC season. So it's not going to be a season where it's like skewed heavily in favor of like Space Marine players being the top. And then, oh, suddenly we autocorrected and it changes the rulings. Mm-hmm. Again, it's something that GW is kind of got they, they've got to be recognizing without overplaying their hand. It's it's a delicate delicate line to walk but i think they're doing they're doing okay yeah all right so we're gonna go ahead and finish up the show i guess i skipped hobby progress earlier didn't i i painted stuff i didn't i didn't do anything yeah yay i don't have to eat a hat (laughs) well i don't think there was a a challenge for you to eat a hat okay cool i know you but you painted some death watch models Yes. Yeah, yeah cuz I was going to try and join that that kill team league that you got in, but I was just sick that week and yeah, I just ended up staying in. Yeah. But Fair. yeah, my my goal is to keep on painting more of them because I'm trying to also pack. So they're they're some of the easier guys to paint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, other than that, like I I've gotten stuff ready. I'm I'm starting to do some assembly on some of the stuff for that isn't assembled yet for our raffle army, yep. but other than that, I haven't that nice symbol. I finally assembled my Beast Grave models for Warhammer Ooh. Underworlds. Did that yesterday. But yeah, other nice. than that, I haven't been doing much. I've been kind of t- taking a little bit of time off painting because uh, I've just got to reprioritize. But I, I finished all my stuff for LVO and I'm, I've, I actually have an event coming up later this month that I was thinking about painting an, an army for. And I'm like, I don't want to do that again. Like having to paint an entire army again in a couple weeks. So I'm just going to play I'll something you already probably have. take my Death Guard or something like that to yeah. it and just have fun and get stomped. so we'll go ahead and move to the uh, morale phase and uh this this episode of the morale phase i'm gonna show my weeb roots and uh uh suggest uh my hero academia or as it is known in japan boku no hero academia (laughs) what why are you looking at me like that (laughs) fucking nerd (laughs) you're not wrong you're just an sorry, asshole. Yes, absolutely. Go on. So continue. Sorry. Continue. Takes one into oh, one. Wait, are yeah. we not supposed to be shaming people for these segments? <laughs> Generally, no. Oh, okay. Sorry. I maybe. I think I missed the memo on this. Go on. Please it, continue. It's supposed to be positive morale. Oh, positive morale. Yeah. So, okay. Please continue. So, okay. So first off, yes, this is an anime series. So if you're not on board with anime, this may not. You know, this won't necessarily be your thing. But if you're not on board with magic, neither would be the command zone. So right. sure. you know, it's stuff yeah. we've stuff we've covered. It's not necessarily for everybody, but stuff we think is kind of cool. Uh, Boku no Hero Academia, or I'll just call it My Hero Academia because that's how people stateside are going to know it. Um, it's not a new series. It came. They're in like their third season right now. It's yeah. relatively yeah. new though. Um, and basically, it's it is a series whose general conceit is: what if eighty to eighty five percent of everybody on Earth had superpowers? Now, not all the superpowers are useful. Some of them are relatively minor. Yeah. <laughs> some of them are super not useful. Yeah. <laughs> and some of them are awful and terrible. And yeah, it's it's basically X-Men the anime, which is kind of uh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And so the concept is, okay, so you have a whole bunch of people at, like, you have a whole bunch of people with superpowers. What about, like, so heroes, like comic book heroes, are a thing. And what's interesting is it's a world where 
this happened like within the last 40 to 50 years. It's not yeah. like people have always had superheroes. Just something happened and all of a sudden powers started manifesting. And so because comic books had already been a thing in this universe, people just kind of adopted, oh, well, now we have superheroes and supervillains now. But then you also have like the everyday Joe who works at a schlub job, but he can also do some special little yeah, it's thing. Like he can or, move small objects with his mind, right. or he can see really far. Like there's a, there's a character actually. The shirt I'm wearing right now has an academia character on it. Yeah, and her ability is her eyes can zoom in and she can see things far away. Nice. That's her only. So it's not a useful superpower for a hero. If you're not using it, like, unless you're like a sniper or something. It's like, she's not. She's actually an inventor, so it's really of no use to her. <laughs> don't uh, you hate it when powers don't synergize? Yeah. <laughs> and, but the, so the, the story is based around, so in this world, there are superheroes, but they are licensed by the government. They have agencies that they belong to. They do sponsorships for companies. The, the and, school systems heavily support training them and and making sure that they can perform as effective yeah. heroes. So you're saying it's a less dark version of the boys. It's a much less it's dark version. Yeah. Extremely yeah. less Extremely dark. Extremely less. <laughs> but what so these powers in the in the English translation are referred to as quirks. Yep. And so everybody or like 80 to 85% of people are born with quirks. And the main character is named Izuku Midoriya, and his thing is, he is a huge superhero fanboy. He knows, like, everything about, like, all these super. He, like, consumes all the superhero content he can. And he has this one character who is his most favorite character of all, who is a hero named All Might, which is basically this world's Superman. Yeah. He is super strong, super good. He is the hero. He's considered the symbol of peace. I mean, that's actually the name he goes by, is the symbol of peace. And he is the, he is the one, it's like, you know, things are fine because when All Might shows up, I am here. And so, you know, he is the big hero. He is literally the, the number one ranked hero that everyone is trying to, you know, catch up with. God, and, you know that superhero rankings would totally be a thing in the real oh, world. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. one of like, that's, that's, that tracks. <laughs> yeah. And so, and that's one of the things about this is it does feel like, Hey, this is actually how superheroes would work because it's superheroes, but without all the baggage of like, other than like the comet, the costumes and the code names, without the baggage that you see in like a, a Marvel or DC version sure, of superheroes. Yeah. Midoriya has one and he wants to be a hero. He would love to be a hero, except for one problem. He's one of the 15% that doesn't have a superpower. <laughs> and this is a world where like a Batman or Iron Man superhero isn't really a thing. Because yeah. so many people have real powers that the idea of like a rich guy who builds his own superpowers also being is, super rich. Yeah. Can I, can I, can, is that one of the quirks of like I just, one of the 85% that just happens to be super wealthy? No, unfortunately Damn not. <laughs> and so he wants to be a hero and he, but he can't, without a quirk, he can't get into the hero school track. Mm hmm. So and he has to fake it. No, no, he does. So, oh. so one day one of his friends, or that friend, somebody he knows from school who's actually kind of bullied him throughout his childhood is like attacked by a random supervillain. Like a supervillain is running away from All Might and like absorbs it. Like it's like a big blob monster and starts like sucking his friend in. And Midoriya, despite the fact that he has powers, his first instinct is to run in and save him. Sure. Even though he's going to get his ass kicked. 
And then All Might shows up and like one punch man, you know, like just punches the villain out and takes him out with like one blow. Yeah. But as he's what like at later in the day, he's walking away and All Might stops him on the street and says, You have the makings of being a good hero. And he's like, But I can't be a hero. I don't have a quirk. Like I don't have an ability. And All Might reveals something very important to him. And this is not really a spoiler because this happens like first couple episodes. Sure. Yeah. All Might shifts form back into his non-superhero body. And the reason is he can only now maintain his superpower status for about three hours a day mm. because several years before he had he had fought like a huge like the supervillain of this world. And the injury, like he practically has like no stomach left. A lot of his organs were destroyed. He's got huge scarring on his body. And it's too hard to strain to ha- to maintain his power for more than the amount of time he can spend doing heroing. Sure. And in fact, he starts coughing up blood if he if he keeps and they actually play that up for comic effect oh, numerous sure, times. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like his his non-powered version, he has like the same hair and everything, but he's like gaunt and drawn. He just yeah. he does not look good. But he says, I have a secret. This power that I have, all the super strength power that I have. I did not originally have this power. I didn't have a quirk either. The power was gifted to me by my mentor. And I my quirk is special in that I can pass it along to the next generation. Oh, that's cool. And so he's like, you have the right heart to be a hero. So I'm going to train you to get your body to the point where you can handle my power. And then I will grant begin granting you my power. And then you can be a hero. And like the that this is like the first like three episodes is like this training montage, and he like Midoriya knows all the school stuff to get in, but he's got to prove. But then there's like an entrance, a physical entrance exam, and so All Might like gives him the power, which involves eating All Might's hair, which is weird. <laughs> it's like well, you have to absorb my DNA into you, so here, just eat this strand of hair. It'll take a while to kick in. They could have been way worse. <laughs> I was, I was actually yeah. just thinking. I wasn't going to make a joke. I was actually just thinking that that's literally the plot, the ending of of uh, Watchmen uh-huh. is where uh, Doctor Manhattan uh, puts his power potentially because they leave it as a cliffhanger. His power into like this egg that the main character then eats at the end and uh-huh. like, potentially can abs- can inherit Doctor Manhattan's power. So like, that's actually really cool. Yeah, the hair part's awkward, but that's a cool and, concept. And so, <laughs> and so he goes in the entrance exam. And the entrance exam is here's a bunch of giant robots. Beat them up and win points. <laughs> and like everybody else there has been practicing with their powers oh, and has like so as like earning points left and right. And Midoriya's like, I have no idea what to do. It's like everyone's better at this than I am. And <laughs> This one person, uh, this one person there who he kind of meets on going in, she is suddenly like the biggest robot that they have, who's worth the most points, like starts attacking her and she's overwhelmed and in real danger. And Midoriya like kicks in the power. Which- he he does that thing yeah. that he did before where he's yeah, like, he I have to act. I have to say Steve Rogers jumping I have- on the grenade. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. I have and he be- runs in. And just goes all out with the power and takes out the robot and shatters himself doing it because his body is not equipped to handle that level of power running. Like his arm is like bred and bruised and just it's limp, flopping around. Like he shatters the bone in it entirely. Yeah. And so, and he doesn't earn any points because he, like somebody else actually technically gets the kill. Oh, so he doesn't yeah. really earn any points for defeating the robot, but he does save the student. 
<laughs> and he's like, but you have body. to like get a minimum number of points to get in. And he's like, well, yeah. I just, yeah. my arm is shattered and I didn't even kill a single robot. I, I failed. And then it find he finds out, well, the thing is, we weren't just tracking you. Like, yes, beating that's up what the we ro- told you to track. That's what yeah, we told you to track. Okay. But we were also tracking you points on how many people you could save. Oh, okay. And you're the only you you maxed out your rescue points, so you just get in. <laughs> and in fact, he was like, we were even approached by the girl you saved, and she wanted to give like half her points to you, which we couldn't do based yeah. on the testing. But you saved a life, and that's what a hero is being about. And a lot of the series. So I'll kind of stop the synopsis there because then it just becomes this whole thing about yeah. school and heroes and villains and stuff. Right. But a lot of it is there's more to say to being a hero than being the biggest, most powerful person. It's also about saving people, protecting mm. people, putting smiles on people's face, like letting people live in a world where they can smile. And if be I've happy. learned one thing not, from the DCEU yeah. that that's not the case, it not, is all about powering panic. <laughs> right. You know, and it's like one of the things I liked about. Like the Avengers, like Avengers yeah. one and two, like whatever you may think of Age of Ultron, the fact that a lot of the battle against Ultron it, yeah. is about rescuing all the people, mm-hmm. and the fact that like a lot of the Battle of New York is about like, hey, let's set up a perimeter, get these people yeah. out of the way. Let's that being a hero is about more than just being the biggest baddest badass on the. And yeah. it continues to do like they recently had an episode where one of the characters has to basically go to remedial school because they, <laughs> they they screwed up on a test. Yeah, and so his remedial exam to get his provisional license is here's a class of unruly t- kindergarten students who also all have quirks. Get them under control. That's great. <laughs> That's awesome. And his that power sounds like punishment. And his power it, is, it was yes. <laughs> and like like his power is I can make explosions from my hands. You don't want to use that on kindergartners. <laughs> no, but that that could be very entertaining to them, and they might start actually paying Ex- attention. Well, sure. there was like him, and then there was like a That's character. probably not where his mind went initially. And a though. character who could make fire and ice. But it's like all these people, like none of them, and the four people who have to work on this, none of them get along either. So it's like, oh, yeah. figure, so it's like, because they're also from rival high schools. So, so it so. turns out the real superpower was inside them all. That was the friendships they, they earned along actually, the Actually, yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. That is the superpower. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, uh, so like I said, this is serious and ongoing. You can can watch it on uh, Funimation. They, uh, uh, they're streaming it, and there is it is also on Hulu. On Hulu, oh, it is on yes, Hulu. Yes, it yes. is on Hulu, so you can watch okay. it there. There, although are, I don't think the the dub, I don't think is. I think on, it's not or not at all of the dub. Okay, is on they're, Hulu because yeah. I've been wanting to watch this, but it's been hard to find. It's and by like, it it's by season on Hulu, okay. whereas Funimation, is as getting, soon as the dub is done, is out. It, nice. It's out, and the subtitled version it, is out the day it airs in Japan. Oh, nice. Right, so it's, it's like, a simulcast. Nice. Yeah. Uh, there's also a movie. Uh, there's actually two movies. Two. Well, like a movie that's in theaters right now. Yes. Yeah. There, yeah. Um, and that that's an interesting one because apparently this that is a time jump. Oh, the okay. movie is a time jump to when they're done with school. Oh, and so it's kind of going to be interesting. Like, is that going to be the eventual end of the series? Like, are we going to get to that point, or is this kind of like a side timeline or something? But uh, but there's all, but there was a movie that came out about a year ago. That was I, in theaters. I actually still haven't seen that, that one. Was yeah. it but, was very good. I've heard very good things about it. It and it's about Midoriya and All Might taking a trip to America. Apparently, yeah, because nice. because okay. All Might actually did an internship in America. Because it's like it's set in Japan. Also, fun fact: all these school and place names are named after locations in Star Wars. Oh, that's great. Okay, I like. Yeah, it. like if I, you when you when you start watching, it's like it's it's like pronounced with like Japanese style, but it's like you start realizing. Like, 
there's like Mustafar High School nice. and stuff like that. And like Hosu Park and <laughs> things like that. It's, it's there are little little jokes. Nice. And like there's a villain that shows shows up like halfway through the second season who is basically a riff on Todd McFarlane's st- like 90s grim and gritty <laughs> yeah. super villain design. Complete with like raggedy cape that flitters oh, out behind him God. and everything and yeah. all about <laughs> knives and blood. And, so it's like. So the guy who's writing this is a fan of like Western comic books, but he's doing it from like a Japanese point of view, but also not falling into a lot of the uh, conceits of like, we're going to scream at each other and get more powerful. And that's not and, even my and, final form. Right. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of that kind of typical shonen anime stuff. Yeah. It isn't really that hyped as much yeah. in this yeah. series. I mean, it, it, there's it's, a little bit of it because it, yeah, is, it a, is an yeah. anime series, but. If you are a fan of superheroes, like if you're a fan of like the Marvel MCU, I think there's a lot to really dig out of this. Yeah. And if and if you're not a fan of the DCEU, it'd also be a very good. <laughs> I'd say it's much more along the lines of something like the Arrowverse, yeah, and in that yeah. feel mm-hmm. than and than it is like the the DCEU movies. Cool. And cl- like yeah. right now, the storyline is they're setting up a school festival and figuring out how to use their powers to has, do a, a concert. Has there been the, the the typical high school episode where somebody accidentally there was a comic misunderstanding and he invited two different girls to the dance? And actually, no, they oh, they really so they really have not leaned into any romance. Like, there's a couple of people who have like crushes the- on each other, but they have not leaned into any. There's no like romantic subtropes. No, I don't even mean like the romantic stuff. I just mean like the typical like high school drama like. Start working that in. No, not not a really. common misunderstanding, and we wound up kidnapping the other high school's mascot. Like you know, <laughs> like the closest thing is like the people who have work study, but they also have to get their okay. classwork done, and so like they have they have to work extra hard. How am I also going to win this? How am I going to win the chef's costume contest and study for my exam? Sorry. <laughs> well, but there is also the how are we going to study for this yeah, upcoming yeah. show while villains are actively trying to break into the school and kill us all? Okay. Well, I would think that at least synergizes a little bit. Yeah. 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 So it's it's a very no, fun cool. it's yeah. a fun series. Um, I highly recommend it. Um, and like I said, you don't have to be a big fan of like tradition like anime to be able to get into it it's something yeah. that like and also they do air it on like uh toonami like a cartoon network plays it mm. uh, i don't know if they like i don't know if they're currently playing it but they've played past seasons okay. of it so cool so there's a there's a number of ways to watch it and uh again subbed or dubbed and it's, both are good both are very good uh and there there's lots of laughs there's drama there's and there's mysteries that are still like st- there's an ongoing manga that they haven't caught up with yet, okay. and there are still mysteries that have have not been revealed. In that, like there may be a spy inside the school, but we don't know who, and they're, they're not dropping a lot of hints for it. So nice, just all kinds of neat stuff going on. Well, I think that pretty much wraps up our show. So uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Uh, let's see, in a couple of weeks is Adepticon. Before then? No, Adepticon's at the end of the month. So. Okay, so we'll have one episode before Adepticon. Uh, I don't think any of us are going to be attending Adepticon. And again, we're hopefully Adepticon will still be going on. Uh, but yeah, hopefully everything's still going on. So we'll be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode. So until then, I'm Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. Good night, good gaming, and stay healthy and safe, everybody.
Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2, No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com.